This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on air, Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the Poobah Prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, dear listener. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, where we are pumped to be in, like, on the on the cusp. Of week three of the season, we've got some trends going that we're going to dig into. And Elon, you just made a face for anybody who's who's watching the video. Can you share what you're drinking tonight? I thought when you said you're pumped, that was a reference to my pumpkin spice Red Bull. No, but it's not pumpkin spice. Well, it's winter spice. What, I think so what, what is winter spice? That's It's actually holiday spice. Uh, <laughs> this is really gross. I just took my first sip. I, th- I went to the store to buy some Red Bull, as I like to drink during the show, so I don't get tired. And I thought I'd try something new. It was like a new flavor. And this is really gross. I got to say, this is going to be tough. Holid- Red Bull is trying to have it both ways with their holiday spice, because people think it's a pumpkin spice and a holiday... Like, it's a, it's a three-month coverage. For this novelty flavor. Oh, why are we mentioning them on the show? Brian, is this your new comedy act? Did you just want to really bring this up to try out your new set? Your, like, five solid minutes of stand-up? <laughs> I just think that it's ridiculous that okay. uh, that they had this... That A, this flavor exists, and two, you saw it and was like, Oh, yeah, I drink my energy drinks for the flavor. I don't know. I, I want to try something different. And uh, clearly you've got the hottest take in the world that it, that uh, it's ridiculous to have these holiday spices. But anyway, we got a lot to get to. This is actually a hockey podcast. My energy is all pod- natural, baby. Okay, so yeah, we've got a lot to get to. It's We're done the second official week of the fantasy season, at least on Yahoo, because it was that double week, and a lot has happened. There's a lot of players who we're starting to get really concerned about. There's a lot of new players coming up. I'm really excited to get into everything with you, Brian. Of course, before we do that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website in the world. I'm not just saying that. I believe it. I go there every day. I read the article. I don't only read... I, what was that Playboy thing people Elon say? Elon like, to Dauber Hockey for the articles. Yeah, I go there for the articles, but I do actually go there for the... the those sweet, sweet diagrams and data of all of the important tools I need at Frozen Tools, game day line combinations, like in real time, like during the show today, I plan to be looking at some line combinations as we discuss certain teams that are playing tonight, uh, starting goalies. It's all there. It's the best site, DauberHockey.com. 
But okay, Brian, let's get started. I was thinking for today's episode, we've gotten a lot of good questions on our patron-only Facebook group. One of the perks of being a patron of the podcast, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, is the ability to join our Facebook group. But then one of the perks of being a podcast producer is having an amazing patron Facebook group. Uh, which is an amazing resource for show topics. So there were so many questions about players that people are concerned about, and I feel like if the patrons are concerned about these players, then probably the listeners are as well. So let's just go through some of these questions, and we'll discuss the players as we go. So let's start with Dustin P. asking, I've got someone shopping Sagan. Should I be biting on this? And then Mason chimed in, I'm thinking of offering Carlson. He means John Carlson. Is that an overpay? So, Brian, the first question is obviously someone's shopping Sagan should should be into that. And then the next question is, would offering John Carlson for Tyler Sagan be a good deal? So let's break this down. I want to start with John Carlson, actually, since we uh, started last week's show with all the depressing slow starters. I want to b- talk about someone who's doing well. Going into today, John Carlson is tied with Connor McDavid for a league-leading 17 points in nine games. He's coming off two straight three-point games versus the Rangers and the Leafs. Uh, the Caps are playing today against Chicago. It's 1-1 right now, so maybe we'll check in a little later but yeah the next highest scoring d-men are morgan riley and ryan ells with 11 points each so we're talking 17 points versus 11 carlson's already close to lapping these guys the two guys that we'd expect to be ahead of john carlson are like you know brent burns eric carlson like both of them they're doing fine around a point per game same with victor hedman but neither are anywhere near close to john c so brian are we seeing a new john carlson this season do you think he'll be able to best his career high of 70 points from last year be a point per game d-man like burns and eric carlson have been in the past or is now a prime sell high time to get one of those guys or maybe an elite center hopefully in tyler sagan who we'll get to in a minute okay so i think the best way to unpack this would be to first talk about john freaking carlson the other carlson who is just destroying the league and fantasy matchups over the first couple weeks of the year what a get for anyone who is able to like sneak him in even the third fourth fifth round in some leagues where defensemen aren't prioritized uh he's giving huge huge value to anyone who has him and uh now we have to decide okay Is this the value he's going to provide all season, or is he going to slow down at some point? Uh, So I was taking a look at his numbers, and I saw that 19 goals have been scored while John Carlson has been on the ice this year. He has 17 points himself, so 17 points on 19 on-ice goals scored, which is just wild. Three goals, 14 assists. Of those assists, eight are primaries, six are secondaries. That gives him a 90% IPP compared to his usual 45%. IPP. Can John Carlson keep that up? Probably not. Can he keep up this point pace? Not likely, but that's not really such a brilliant insight, seeing as how all I'm doing is ruling out the possibility that John Carlson finishes the year with 155 points. That's a slam dunk, right? Not going to happen. Of course, John Carlson's IPP should regress, but generally... Everything else looks pretty reasonable from Carlson and the Capitals so far. He has reasonable on-ice shooting percentages. Nothing extraordinary happening there. Like, maybe uh, it's a little high on the power play, but that's just how it is at this time of year. We're not going to expect huge regression because of it. And looking at John Carlson himself, um, you know, he scored three times on 19 shots, which isn't going to repeat. But maybe... John Carlson is going to get to take a few more shots on goal. His rates are steady from last year, his shot rates I'm talking about, but Carlson is seeing nearly a full minute more of ice per night 
Some of that is because of his power play assignment, and uh, the Capitals have seen the third highest number of power play minutes so far this season. Uh, but Carlson is also playing another 30 seconds at five on five each night, which isn't really a huge deal, but it just shows that Washington is not afraid to trot John Carlson out as much as they possibly can. He is now on the whole averaging three and a half minutes more per night than he was just a few years back in that disappointing 2016-2017 season. You know, I think that's the one where they acquired Kevin Shattenkirk because they thought they needed needed a power play quarterback, but John Carlson was there all along. So where do I think he goes from here? I think he ends up back around 70 points this year, which is what we projected him for in our almanac. But maybe now we wonder, we actually projected him for 68 points, and maybe we consider that more of his floor rather than, you know, somewhere between the midpoint and ceiling. Uh, Maybe John Carlson can have a 75-80 point season, which was kind of unthinkable. I thought I was taking a swing at 68-70 points, and uh, I felt confident in it, but I felt like I could not go any higher. Now, I wonder if I can. Uh, But I'm still going to say for the rest of the year, expect him to be a 70-point player. If you're looking to deal him, you have him on your team If you can sell him as like a point-per-game kind of player, an 80 points or more kind of defenseman, that would be a case in which you could consider selling high on him. But because he's already a 70-point guy, there's really not a whole lot of room to go from there if you are going to try and sell high. If I'm dealing him for Tyler Sagan, that actually seems like a waste of an asset. And it's not because I don't like Sagan, but because I think a regular 70-point John Carlson is probably reasonably fair value for a regular Tyler Sagan, like straight up one for one, but John Carlson's value is way above that right now, and Tyler Sagan's is way below it, and I think you want to try and milk that differential a little more if you can. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get to Sagan in a bit, but what about like those other guys I mentioned? Like if you could trade a John Carlson for, say, a Brent Burns or even Gasp an Eric Carlson, do you uh, take that deal or maybe do you hesitate with John doing so well? No, I think I take that deal. I mean, you could be worried about Brent Burns' age. You could be worried about Eric Carlson's ankle or health or baby. Yeah. (laughs) There are things to be concerned about with both those guys, but John Carlson too. Like he's not a young guy. Uh, He's not like, we're not about to see, he's not heading into his most productive years. He could have his most productive year, but it's not what we're expecting to happen this year. So yeah, if you can get one of those guys and a little more, uh, absolutely. I would do that. I'd do it straight up. Oh, okay. So there you go. Uh, so something to consider, I guess, if you want to try to be bold and try to sell John Carlson. I just feel lucky that we got, you know, we got pretty lucky with our podcast name, right? Because if Eric Carlson doesn't pan out, we don't even have to change the podcast name. We just have to change the spelling and we could just keep on going. Uh, Brian, before we move on to Sagan, let's just stick with the caps for a little bit. Point out some new lines that they've been rolling out lately. They've been putting Ovechkin with Oshie and Backstrom and then Kuznetsov with Tom Wilson and Carl Haglin and then Jacob Verana down on the third line with Lars Eller and a guy named Garnett Hathaway. So, Kind of a big change, right? Like, we've been used to Wilson with Ovechkin. Now, I, like, a downgrade for Tom Wilson, as now he's going to be playing with Kuznetsov and Haglin for as long as this lasts. Uh, like I said, like, a big downgrade for Verona going to line three. Uh, would you be panicking if you owned either of these guys? Like, Wilson probably gets a pass with all the hits he's throwing. You drafted him for the hits anyways, and the points were hopefully just a bonus. Though, you know, with, with Ovechkin, you'd expect him to maybe be able to get 40-plus points. But at this point, Jacob Verona, pretty much at the same stream level, or maybe even lower than someone like Carl Haglin, who's currently on the second line. He's picked up an assist in each of his last two games going into today. Are we considering Verana Haglin on the same level? Maybe you even want Haglin more while he's in the top six? 
This Garnet guy, uh, very impressive that he's found himself in some meaningful deployment early on. You look at what he was in Calgary, and that was a bottom six guy, but I guess he hath a way of impressing the coaches and getting to better deployment. As for the other uh, players you're talking about, count me as a guy who did not anticipate a world in which Carl Haglin holds a top six spot but Jacob Vrana doesn't. And Vrana had actually come out of the gate really strong. You mentioned his big 10 shots in his last two games, which has helped bring his shot rates up above where they've ever been. Of course, I still believe in Vrana, and I don't know this line combo iteration is going to last. I think the Caps are just trying to figure out how Vrana and Kuznetsov can succeed. They've yet to point while playing with one another, despite Vrana having been Kuznetsov's second most frequent line mate. And Kuznetsov has still managed four non-power play points in six games. So he's not hurting despite regular turns with guys like Hagelin, Panic, Tom Wilson as his line mate. So you can probably drop Jacob Vrana for now if you're wondering what to do for him, or you can hold him for his shots. But either way, I, I don't think we've seen the last of him in the Washington top six. So if you want to keep him for speculative purposes, keep him because he's not going to be a bottom six player. Like, Washington could try and run a top nine. I think they think Lars Eller is a capable centerman to play in a top nine configuration, but I I want Vrana to play with Kuznetsov, and I'm going to try and just will it to happen. Hey, Brian, you're so optimistic. It's like, if Verona's in the uh, on the third line, they're they're running a top line. Yeah, if they want to run a top line, sure. Like, Or maybe they just don't think he's that good. They're not running a top nine. They're running a top six. And Verona's just not a part of it. He and deserves slack- to be in the top six. Uh, well, what about Carl Haglin? I thought you loved Haglin. Don't you think he deserves a spot? It was like four years ago. Uh, Haglin <laughs> is not to his form of four years ago. Like, he's a really serviceable player. It seems like that's what the Capitals want in their top six uh, between their, their attempts to, with Richard Panic up there, too. Uh, but I don't think he's the best choice unless you are trying to stretch your top six into a top nine. Uh, okay. Well, that's your, like, opinion, man. And currently the Capitals disagree. We'll see. Like, it's not as if Haglin, I mean, sorry, it's not as if Verana is getting, you know, top nine minutes. Like, he's being played like a bottom sixer for now. So we'll see if that changes. In the meantime, Haglin's someone to look at. Just got a shorthanded point, uh, like a couple minutes ago, actually. So, uh, there you go. Okay. So those are the Caps. Let's go to Dallas now and finish this question about Tyler Sagan, because that's where we got started here. And there's a lot of people a little bit worried. First of all, the Stars haven't been good. They finally picked up a win yesterday over Philly after having lost five in a row. The lines have been blundering like crazy, but perhaps they'll stick for a bit now, at least for a game or two, after they finally won a game. And those lines were Sagan with Radulov and Jason Dickinson, then Rupe Hints with Ben and Corey Perry, and then Pavelski with Janmark and Faxa. That's right, Pavelski line three, ouch. Uh, and the top power play has gone back to the loaded one we were expecting at the start of the year. So Ben, Pavelski, Radulov, Sagan, Klingberg. So the initial questions from Dustin and Mason were about Tyler Sagan. Let's start with him. Sagan picked up an assist in the win yesterday, bringing him to a measly two goals and three assists in 10 games, so five points in 10 games. This this is from a guy who pretty much has been a lock to pace for like at least 30 goals, at least 75 points a year in, year out for a long time. Now, this has got to be a pretty big disappointment, especially with only 28 shots so far in his 10 games. That's 2.8 shots per game when he's been over four shots per game last year. So, so far, Sagan really frustrating his owners. I'm one of them in the couple. So, Brian, do you think we can just write this off as a slow start that's bound to write itself eventually? Uh, and, like, would offering even John Carlson for him, as Mason suggested, be a smart buy at this point? I guess we already covered that. But just in general, can Tyler Sagan at least go back to being what he was before? Or maybe is Dallas just a team in some trouble here? And maybe they're not a team that can support an 80-point, 35-goal Tyler Sagan like they were last year. 
One thing I really don't love this year from Tyler Sagan himself, and you're on to something with the team thing, but first just a bit to, to talk about Sagan individually, uh, his shot rates that you mentioned, uh, I don't like that they've gone down. He was so dependable and reliable for those shots, but it seems like it could be as much a system thing as anything because Sagan's line mates are also struggling there. Sagan is down 12 on-ice shot attempts per 60 minutes, so that's the shot attempts from everybody on his team while he's on the ice down 12 per 60 minutes from his numbers in the last several years. And for context, that's, that's a big drop. It's almost always a small sample quirk that corrects itself. It's rare to see on ice shot attempt rates fluctuate more than five in a year. And even that's kind of a lot. Sagan himself has been between 59 to 61 shot attempts per 60 minutes for each of the last three seasons. This year so far, he's at 48. So that's a, that's a big drop. It's not one we're used to seeing. And it's usually, again, a, a small sample size quirk that should even itself out over the course of the season. One, team that that feels familiar uh, like seeing these these sorts of drops happening were last year's LA Kings uh, saw similar and they didn't necessarily all correct the way or as much as I'd hoped they did so it's concerning but not so concerning yet I, I think right now what you're seeing is a Dallas team that's searching for something that works a system line mates lock something so I'm not getting worried about Tyler singing himself though I will repeat that it is a big bummer to see his individual shot on goal totals fall his own shot rates are down like 40 percent which stinks so whatever Dallas is doing, um, they need to fix it. I want to believe it's all going to correct. Sagan himself is still 27 until the end of January. Plenty of good hockey is still ahead of him. It's just such a shame that Dallas doesn't know how to get the most out of the crazy talent that they do have. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to say Sagan still makes a great buy-low target because even if Dallas can't do whatever they're trying to do over these first couple weeks... I hope they at least go back to doing whatever they did last year, which worked perfectly well for Tyler Sagan. So at least just like go back to the thing that worked last year. It got you into the playoffs. It got you into competitive playoff series. Just do that again. Come on, Dallas. Don't don't reinvent the wheel here. Easier said than done, right? Like, I'm sure the St. Louis Blues are trying to do what they were doing at the end of last year, and so far they're struggling a little bit as well. So, okay, you're saying not to worry about Tyler Sagan. Let's look at some of the rest of these guys that people are tearing their hair out over. So we've got Jamie Benn, only four points in 10 games, low shots on goal. This is a guy we projected for 75 points. That's looking like a big oof at the moment. Uh, Alex Radulov, only four points in 10 games. Also, two shots on goal over his last four games. What? Okay, so not good. Uh, Joe Pavelski, only two points in 10 games. Also low shots on goal. Also on line three, like I was saying right now. So everyone is struggling except for Rupe Hintz, who has scored in each of the last two games, leads the team with seven points in ten games. Brian, are, are we? if you had a do-over opportunity, would you be reducing your projections for any of these Stars players going into the season? Like, I don't know, like Ben and Radulov, I feel like maybe I hope they could bounce back. I'm like personally very concerned about Joe Pavelski with only two points and now getting deployed on the third line. Gotta be potentially approaching snoozer territory soon. And that's a word we use for someone that you might need to consider dropping from your roster. Are we close to that point? 
There's just weird stuff happening all through the Dallas roster right now. Pavelski himself, he's down a minute a night. Radulov is down over one and a half minutes a night. And for some reason, is not being put out on the top power play the way he always has. He's seeing just a 55% share of Dallas's power play time compared to a 70% share the last couple years. And Jamie Benn is also down ice time. He's down 70 seconds total, down on the power play. He's presently seeing his smallest power play share since 2011-12. That was Ben's third year in the NHL. So one thing that's true about all three of these guys, Ben, Radulov, and Pavelski, is, well, one, they've all seen deductions in their ice time, and they're also seeing uh, their own shooting percentages drop, and I think that's probably a mix of luck and just being, like, posing a lower threat generally, because Dallas is still trying to work things out. But another thing that's true about Pavelski, Radulov, and Ben is that one of or more, one or more of their IPP on ice shooting percentage uh, are also deflated. So, like, these are our red flags, our markers for variance, and they each have one or both going the wrong way in an unsustainably unfortunate way. So, again, we're looking at systems, right? Can Dallas correct? Or are we doomed to watch this tragedy for another couple weeks? Another couple months, a year, I, I still, like, I do. I hope they go back to what worked uh, for them last year. It's not going to make them maybe a Stanley Cup contender, but it should at least save their fantasy owner some grief. And we both know which of those two imperatives are more important. Uh, so come on, Dallas, just give Ben Radulov Pavelski back their minutes. Give them time to just level everything out. If you own any of these guys, I don't think... It's reasonable to give up on them while our whole team is just completely in the tank. Uh, but stranger things have happened, right? So if you're feeling the urgency, I, I actually, I deplore you. I, no, I implore you to hold on to them. Hold on to your stars. Just give them like another week, maybe two. Wow. Okay. Alex in the uh, chat here is saying he's selling all of his stars. Alfred was asking, should uh, he buy low on Radulov? Brian, I guess you're saying yes to still try to buy low. I don't know. So it's always scary to buy low on a team that's struggling like this, but there is like huge upside there, like close to point per game upside if they could get back to what they were doing last year, which it can't be impossible. So I get what you're saying. I don't know if this is a lesson learning moment for me because this is how I felt about Anaheim last season and I bought low on Getzlaff and Raquel in a couple leagues and it just didn't work out for me. I see Dallas as being even more bulletproof than I saw Anaheim having been last year. Like we're not talking just Getzlaff and Raquel, right? This team, Dallas has four players, four legitimate 65 plus point guys. They've got to get going. They all play together. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe uh, Corey Perry returning will be the elixir. He's back. He actually had a goal and two assists yesterday. This was after doing nothing in his first two games versus Columbus and Pittsburgh. By the way, I'm totally joking. In my opinion, nothing to see here. Great that he had that one game. I wouldn't be looking at him in my free agency. But Brian, anything to Corey Perry? Is he on your radar at all? I told you last week, Elon, he was coming back to save this team. And his mission has officially begun. Uh, I think Corey Perry is, is worth a stream. He's playing with Ben and Rupe Hints at five on five on the second power play unit that's all he's really got going for him though perry's a good guy to try out when his schedule is good but you're not expecting much better than a 50 point pace in the best case scenario it's likelier he's around the 40 to 45 point pace through most of the year yeah i mean 
I could see him falling to the third line very quickly. So maybe before you stream him in, check out the latest line combinations. You could follow at game day lines, see what Dallas is rolling out and make sure Perry, if he's still on the second line, then yeah, he's probably worth a stream, but I could see that changing. Like keep on blundering, but they did win their last game. So maybe they keep something similar for at least a little while. Okay, let's go to our next question here. We have Arvind on top power play demand watch. First, he asked, was it Gerard on PP1 yesterday? Looks like he had the same amount of power play time as the big boys. Then he also commented earlier, Vatnin power play one last night the entire game. So that's on New Jersey. Anyone see how the Jersey power play looked with him out there? Any chance he keeps this spot? So two very interesting developments for sure. Let's take them one at a time. We'll start in Colorado. And I actually know the answer to this. But let me ask because I know that the listeners might not know and have the inside knowledge that Brian, you and I have available to us. But yes, it is true that yesterday Colorado had some top power play time or had some power play time and they threw out, you know, McKinnon, Ranson, and Landis got Kadri and Sam Girard and not Kale McCarr. And I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my God, Brian is going to make so much fun of me because of all of the grief I gave you for suggesting that maybe Girard could challenge. And then it looked like McCarr was running away with it at the start of the season. And I like, you know, I thought rightfully so told you, Brian, can we finally give up on this stupid Sam Girard thing? And then look, yesterday he gets on the top power play. Of course, it was under two minutes of power play time, like overall, Colorado didn't actually score on the power play, but still, it was something that I was thinking, man, I would be nervous now as a Makar owner if this is going to change, though we have some breaking news about what happened yesterday. So Brian, why don't you share what we learned from our Facebook group? Yeah, so Victor Nuno, who uh, was on our auction draft live stream from tier one a few weeks back uh he was very helpful he commented in the thread he was actually watching uh everything very closely and he said that mccarr took a hit and he missed a power play shift and that that's the only reason he was not there on the power plane that gerard got a turn he also said that mccarr made a couple of of really bad decisions and got benched a couple of shifts uh, for them. And maybe that's why Gerard also snuck onto the top power play. Uh, but Victor's opinion is that it won't last. And that's that's the same as mine. And by the way, if you want to, to hear more from Victor at Victor Nuno 12 on Twitter, uh, give him a follow. Uh, but yeah, like Kale McCarr, it, or it's very much his job, right? I'm not about to sign up. Like I was the guy saying, look out, Sam Girard breathing down his neck. I think the Avs know they have someone capable to step in for Makar if, for whatever reason, Makar can't or they feel shouldn't be on that top power play unit. But I think their preference is that Makar takes the lead and just handles that role from now until, like, he's an old, old man. Yeah, I mean, I will say I would be a little bit concerned still as a Makar owner, just because he's getting super low ice time. He's getting like the ghost bear treatment, like on the top power play, but not that much even strength time over the last couple of games. Uh, He hardly shoots. So if you're in like a categories league, where sure, he's helping you with assists and power play points, but like none of the other whatever six skater categories, you might want to think about flipping him for a defenseman who maybe has lower points upside, but can help you more across the board. Like the low shots thing kind of bothers me. And uh, also Sam Girard. I don't know. He's a he's a weird guy because he doesn't really shoot much or get you many peripherals either, though he does have assists in two straight games and he does get the majority of the ice time for the Avalanche overall, like not on the power play. So not, I'm not saying that I would like flip uh, Makar for Girard, but Girard may be someone to look at in free agency if you like Colorado. I think they play like a Friday, Saturday next week. So you could like add Girard for Friday and have him for two days and then drop him. And Makar, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit concerned. I actually, Brian, just flipped him in a trade in one of my leagues where I got uh, Quinn Hughes 
Cruz as one of the players that I got in return for Makar. And the guy who I was trading with definitely saw it as Makar is like much better than Quinn Hughes. And like that's why he was giving me even a bonus on the other part of the deal. I kind of think they're pretty similar. We'll get to Quinn Hughes in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd be a little nervous as a Makar owner just because of the low minutes. And like you said, like maybe some defensive lapses, which is going to mean he's going to have to still learn some lessons. He's still a rookie at the end of the day. Still a rookie, and he's not doing the things that he did in college. In college, he took three or four shots per game, and he was probably... He needed to, right? His team needed him to be that offensive driver, and they knew that him taking a shot from the point or stepping up a bit and, and, you know, flicking a wrister was going to work for, uh, I think it was UMass Amherst uh, in the NCAA. But in Colorado, they've got a couple guys named McKinnon and Rantanen who are pretty good at shooting the puck, too. So I wonder if he's going to continue deferring to them or if the Avs do want him shooting more sooner rather than later. It's something we'll be watching. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that it's working well. The Avalanche are doing great to start the season. They're one of the top teams in the league. So I think whatever they're doing, they're not going to tell him to stop, which means I keep passing the puck to McKinnon and let him do the shooting. Okay, so then P.K. Subban. So we talked about Subban's slow start on last week's show. And just like I made fun of your suggestion that Gerard could challenge Makar for power play time, you released a hearty no way when I suggested that maybe Subban could potentially be bumped if he kept on struggling. But bumped he was with Sammy Vatanen as the beneficiary for New Jersey's past couple of games. Vatnan even capitalized with an assist on Jack Hughes's first ever goal yesterday, which came on the power play in the 1-0 win over the Canucks, which by the way, Mackenzie Blackwood got the shutout, so maybe someone to watch again. Uh, but anyway, so Subban didn't produce in that game yesterday. He did have a goal on nine shots on Thursday versus the Rangers, even though he wasn't on the top power play. So not to say Subban can't produce even off the top power play, but obviously this would be a bit of a hit for him. So Brian, what do you think right now of this New Jersey situation? Last week, when we talked about Subban's slow start, you said you're not worried about him, but that was when you thought he was going to be a lock on the top power play. Now it looks like it's going to be Vatanen's spot for the next little while. Uh, it might be like a while in terms of time, because New Jersey only plays one time next week on Friday, so it could still be a couple of weeks before we see Subban back on a top power play. But if you were a Subban owner, would you be nervous? And if Sammy Vatanen is in free agency, how quickly should people be rushing to go get a potential top power play defenseman on the New Jersey Devils? playing with Taylor Hall, Jack Hughes, and company. So the bumping happened kind of gradually on this top power play between Subban and Vatten. And first, it looks like New Jersey kept out the same four forwards for an entire power play, but had Vatten and Subban switch out for one another halfway through the man advantage. Um, that was the first game that Vatten really got a long look on the top power play. But I guess since then, uh, Subban really has taken a backseat. He's seeing such a small share of his team's power play time on ice after coming out of the gate, seeing like 70 to 80% of those New Jersey power play one blue line minutes, which is a huge bummer, right? For anyone who invested in PK Subban, I was one of the people who wanted to. He kept getting drafted before I could take him, uh, which makes me wonder if I dodged a bullet, but I think he's still going to be worth your while because there's one ray of light in New Jersey for PK Subban. And it's this thing I know from having been a Sammy Vatnin owner for large stretches of the last couple seasons. He's not exactly top power play material. Vatnin has been given opportunities and has had weak challengers, but has never stuck on the top unit for any meaningful length of time. And with P.K. Subban in the picture, I really have a hard time thinking that this is going to last very long with Vatnin taking this top power play spot instead of P.K. Subban. Also, I don't think New Jersey's power play struggles should be placed on P.K. Subban. Changing him out for Vatnin 
shouldn't change anything. Remember that the Devils began the season 0 for 18 on the power play over their first six games. They're now 2 for 11 in their last two games, which still ain't that great. Uh, Their power play shooting percentage is just at 4%, which is 29th in the league. Uh, Their expected goals rates are more middle of the pack on the power play. So that really just says, like, they should at least be average on the power play, and they're just like, the shots aren't going in. I don't think it's Subban's fault, but he makes an easy scapegoat, I guess, is the new guy in town. So I still expect he's going to be back up on that top unit for the long run, but it's going to be a painful, I don't know, three, four games watching to see when exactly he'll get his next sustained chance. Yeah, because two for 11, like, isn't terrible, right? So it's clearly pretty th- bad. Well, it's a lot better than 4%. It's like below, yeah. And it's, sorry, it's not pretty bad. It's below 20%. A healthy power play is usually, or an average power play, between 18, 22%. So on the low end of average. And it's only out of 11 opportunities. Of course. But of course, you're trying to spin the narrative that Vatnin (laughs) isn't doing that well. You could also spin it by saying, wow, and only uh, 11 opportunities so far, he's already got two goals. So depends how you want to look at it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. If it's me and Vatnin's available, I'm jumping on him for now if I need a defenseman. Of course, the thing is, like I said, New Jersey doesn't play until Friday and then doesn't play for the rest of the week next week. So you might want to be like sneaky about like when you try to make that ad because you don't want to just be adding some of the too early and then wasting a roster spot. So that's the strategy that goes into it there. Uh, since we're on the Devils, uh, Corey asked if it's time to cut the cord with Nikita Gusev. Oh man, like I was so super high on him coming into the season. He was coming off this amazing KHL career. He led the league in points. Uh, so far, he's struggled big time in the NHL. Saw only 7 minutes and 58 seconds of ice time yesterday. He was also under 10 minutes the game before. Word is, like, from just, you know, browsing on Twitter, like, apparently Gusev is, like, not playing well defensively, which is the main reason why he's barely being put on the ice. And he's not even being used as a power play specialist. Like, he's been relegated to the second power play with uh, P.K. Subban. But still, like... Uh, Especially with the Devils only playing once next week, I just can't imagine if I had Gusev in any of my leagues, I'd be willing to hold on. He was actually dropped in Tier 1 Cupful, so we'll see if anyone jumps on him when the next free agent acquisition budget opportunity presents itself. I, I kind of feel like no one's going to add him. I don't know, Elon. I think this is where I defer to you entirely, actually. Like I, I like I don't know what I'm going to add. You were a bigger Gusev backer than I was. Not that I didn't believe in him, but... If you're saying, like, hashtag Team Gusev is saying, you're not into holding him anymore, then I guess how could I disagree? Like, this is a situation where if you own Gusev, the reward is staying the same, but the risk is growing and growing as you hold on. So it's up to your individual league situation uh, to figure out how big a risk it is for you to hold on and how big a risk it is to drop him and give up on that potential reward. You know, if I saw Gusev dropped in a league where I was comfortably cruising in my early weeks, I might snatch up Gusev and take a flyer on him for a week or two and just say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll babysit Nikita Gusev until we see what he's capable of in the NHL. But if I had key matchups at stake, uh, I would not want to use a roster spot on Gusev if there were decent alternatives out there. So like, this is a very contextual thing. uh, But I guess we're at the point where we're at least talking about the possibility that you can just go ahead and drop him if you need to. 
Brian, like honestly, I feel like you're like a week or two behind. He's already been dropped in like every league, and I think it's gonna keep happening. Like I love also these like fake uh, reasons why you and I are experts on things. And like, you said, oh, oh, I actually had Vatman for a bit last year, so I actually know a lot about what it's like for him on the power play. And then you're like, oh, Elon, you were actually high on Gusev. So you clearly are the expert on Gusev at this point. Like I was high on him because he was another one of these people coming from the KHL who dominated the KHL. But I didn't expect we've never any of these big name imports, the Dadanovs, the Radulovs, Panarins. None of them have been seeing like seven or eight minutes of ice time in a game this is a brand new thing and i'm completely scared off like until we see him fine if he has a game where he doesn't get a point but he has like above 16 minutes of ice time then sure then i'm interested but for now like forget and not on the top power play forget it brian you're being too conservative let him go trust me everybody just let him go Okay, do you think the reward is still there? Well, no, I mean, if he could get the ice time, doesn't seem like... I guess the the benefit, the nice thing here is New Jersey keeps losing, so then maybe they'll keep switching things up. But they actually just won their last game, won nothing. So clearly not having Gusev on the ice helped them not let in any goals. Or maybe that's, uh, you know, one cause the other, who knows. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm over him for now until I see the ice time come up. I wonder what Vegas knew that New Jersey didn't about Nikita Gusev. We all thought they were crazy for giving up on him and Vadim Shipashov, but maybe they're just really good at evaluating Russian talent. I mean, oh, I don't know about Russian talent, but I think just in general, they're clearly pretty good at evaluating talent. This team is freaking amazing. Brian, I still have a couple other players who have interestingly been bumped from their top power plays, including one I brought up before. Looks like Alex Edler has been bumped from the Vancouver top power play for Quinn Hughes, and we're going to talk about them in a second. But first, let's thank our first sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek, because these young players we're talking about, forget about Gusev now, but like Jack Hughes over on New Jersey, Quinn Hughes over in Vancouver. Like these are players that you might want to go out and see in their rookie season so you could tell your kids one day I saw these great players play but of course to do that you need to buy a ticket to the game and oh my goodness buying tickets to sporting events and other things could be so frustrating when you use these other ticketing sites it's as if they're making the experience difficult on purpose like you guys know what I'm talking about weird fees coming up at random times like pop-ups t- asking to take a survey like I don't even know I don't like any of these sites but the site I really do like is SeatGeek they've got millions of live event tickets a price match guarantee they prove that there's a better way i really like just opening the app you know picking a city sorting through what's going on in my area and then you could also then once you are looking at what's happening you see the prices sorted by value so you can see right away what's a good deal what's not of course you could also just sort by price brian i wanted to look at vancouver if i wanted to go see check out quinn hughes in person see like how is this guy doing on the top power play compared to what edler would do uh you could do that you could go to see for example next week and you could see the capitals at the Canucks, so you can also see Ovechkin. It's going to be a pretty fun game. If I was in Vancouver, I think I'd go see it at this great price, which I'll get to in a second. But Brian, why don't you try to guess what would be more expensive between going to see the Capitals at the Canucks or you could go see Billie Eilish at the Rogers Arena, the same place where the Capitals... Billie Eilish is on April 11th, so you'd have to... You're planning ahead for that. Or you can go see... uh, What do we want to do here? Let's just just compare the two here. Billie Eilish or the Capitals at Canucks. Ovi and, and Hughes or Billie Eilish? What do you think would cost more? Caps at Canucks. Mm-hmm. Are more expensive. Oh, oh yeah, you're incorrect. You're way off, actually. <laughs> Billy Eilish is huge right now. I just I value hockey so much, Elon. <laughs> you're a bad man at guessing a hockey score or ticket prices. I don't know. Is that how any of the song goes? Does she's she like, say uh, man at all? Isn't she says just, you're a I'm a bad she's a, I'm a bad guy. man. 
Isn't that how that song goes? It's, it's, I thought guy was the word used I'm to a it, bad so. guy. Oh, yeah, it's probably that. You're right. Okay. Well, I'm not a Billie Eilish expert. I'm maybe a little bit, not even a hockey expert. But yeah, definitely you want to check out these great deals on SeatGeek. Oh, yeah. So $177 for Billie Eilish. $47 to see the Capitals at Canucks. What a deal. What a steal. And if you even still are like, eh, $47. I don't know. That's a lot. Plus, there's like traffic. Well, don't worry about it because you can still save even more money just by being a listener of this podcast. Yeah, we don't know if we can help you with the traffic situation but at least you can save $10 off if it's going to be your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do, you can use our promo code, download the SeatGeek app try it today, use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. Have fun! Have fun! And let us know, take a picture at the game. And then I send it to us, at Kevin Carlson, I'd like to see. Okay, so, uh, I guess let's talk about him now. Queenie, Brian, are you okay with going a little out of order here on what we planned? I, we're going to have to do some scrolling, but I think we can manage it. We've been doing this podcast for a long time now. So yeah, looks like Quinn Hughes has overtaken Alex Edler on the top power play. He had a power play assist today. And I still like Edler as like a solid high floor guy with great peripherals. But uh, So I, I don't want Edler owners to freak out too much, so probably you should freak out a little bit. But also, if somehow you could get Quinn Hughes ASAP, You've got to do it. Uh, Alex, who's one of our patrons who seems to really know about all the prospects coming up, he was like, Quinn Hughes has got the top power play now for the rest of the season. Book it. And, like, I don't know any differently, so I'm just going to defer to him for now. So, yeah, sounds like this is going to be Quinn Hughes' job to be with Pedersen, Besser, Miller. It's going to be a great time for Quinn Hughes owners going forward, it looks like. Looks like. What do you think, Brian? I think that it sure does look like Quinn Hughes is going to get things going in Vancouver. I think we might look back on this game against New York on Sunday as the moment that Quinn Hughes came out as the top power play quarterback in Vancouver. He saw over five minutes of power play time, which amounted to a 93% share of Vancouver's blue line minutes Picked up an assist on Bo Horvat's first period power play marker. So yeah, go get him, Quinton. If you don't, uh, if you don't have him already, which uh, he's definitely not available, but now at least if you own him, you can maybe exhale a little and think, okay, I think he might actually be the power play one quarterback. Yeah, or maybe the owner of Quinn Hughes in your league doesn't realize that this has happened. Looking at his overall season numbers, they're not like especially spectacular. So now might be a good buy low opportunity sneak in before uh, they realize that he's getting this extra deployment for the rest of the season. Later on, I still want to talk about another player on the Canucks. But first, I did have another top power play situation to look into. And that's over in Buffalo, where Victor Olofsson apparently got bumped from the Sabres top power play midway through the 4-3 win over San Jose yesterday. Marcus Johansson took his spot. And while, like just like Gerard, nothing went in on the power play while he was there, hard to ignore the nice season that Marcus Johansson is having on the second line with Jeff Skinner. He had a goal and an assist yesterday, brought him to seven points in nine games on the season. That's Marcus Johansson. Meanwhile, Olafson had zeros all across the score sheet yesterday in that game. No shots, no hits, no blocks, nothing. And who knows how, how long he'll be able to hold his top line or top power play deployment if he even still has a top power play deployment. Maybe they've decided to just go with Johansson for the next game. We'll have to wait and see. Would you be worried at this point as an Olafson owner? Uh, maybe time to sell if you still can. Or are you just going to say, like, don't worry about it. that was just one game. They did that for whatever reason. And then also, yeah, Marcus Johansson, if he's still in free agency, how's he looking as a potential pickup as someone playing with Jeff Skinner, doing well, and now potentially getting shots on the top power play? 
Let's start by talking about Victor Olofsson, and the time to sell him was probably last week, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. but what Golofsson owner wanted to do that, right? Not to say that Olofsson's value is gone for sure, because I think Buffalo is going to need him to be a valuable top six piece to provide at least secondary scoring all the way through this season, but yeah, we're seeing his time on ice start to fall away. Olofsson saw 20 minutes in games two and three of the season, and since then, he's seen 17, 18, 16, and then a season-low 15 minutes against San Jose on Saturday. Not only that, but after seeing Olofsson average more than three shots per game over his first four games, he's got just seven shots in his last five, not picking up more than two in a single night in that span. Now, do I think Olofsson can get on a roll again and perhaps still like we don't need to worry about him? He'll hold his top line, top power play deployment. Absolutely. But even if he does, is he going to produce the way he had been for the first week and a half of the year, even in this best case scenario? I don't think so. So it's definitely time to start exploring the sell high opportunities that you have. If you're an Olofsson owner, if you have not already done so, uh, you want to sell high well, but that early season run is still as fresh as possible in everyone's mind. Yeah, that makes sense. And But either way, like we're still holding. We're not seeing to drop Golofsson yet because of a couple bad games. And then, Brian, what do you think, though, about Marcus Johansson? Is he on your radar as someone that you really want to take a look at adding? Or at least should we wait, see if he's on the top power play next game as well? If he is, I feel like you've got to grab him. It's been a really great start for Marcus Johansson, and Jeff Skinner has been key on the five points that Johansson has at five on five. He has shared a scoreline credit with Skinner on three of them, but Johansson is going to need to pick up more assists rather than goals if he wants to stay fantasy relevant, because scoring four goals on nine shots is not going to happen the rest of the way, and the scoring especially won't come if Johansson doesn't take more shots. He only has nine shots in nine games, so I'm actually not going to give up a whole lot to add Marcus Johansson, but he does make for a decent stream. Yeah, yeah. If you could get him on a single day on like Daily Fantasy or something, he might be better than his price. By the way, side note, how amazing are these Buffalo Sabres? The win yesterday brought them to 7-1-1 one, one on the year. Carter Hutton is currently riding two straight shutouts. Linus Allmark has been solid enough when he's played. Uh, we had two tweets yesterday, both from John Reed and from Patty, asking if the Sabres are for real. And I answered that like, I think yes. <laughs> like, I, how can I not say yes? So, Brian, like, would you have answered differently if, if you were the one manning twitter yesterday uh no i mean i don't want to rain on this uh, really exciting start that the sabers are having so far this year they look great uh you know you have teams like edmonton also coming out of the gate really strong that i don't believe in but we've talked about the improvements that buffalo has made on their back end and how uh, that you know, could be paying them some dividends. Sometimes when we want to see, though, how lucky a team uh, has been, you know, try to weight exactly how much of what they're doing has been skilled and is sustainable and how much of it is uh, might just be a short-term burst. Uh, we look at a number called PDO, and PDO is uh, you combine a team's shooting percentage and save percentage, and they should usually add up to 100. Uh, teams can't sustain a number far above or far below it for very long, or at least most teams can't unless you have elite shooters or elite goaltending, but you're generally within a couple points of 100. Right now, Buffalo's PDO is at 105.6, which is that's high. They're seeing a 954 save percentage from their goalies at even strength. That's a huge part of that number. And they're shooting uh, just over 10% at even strength too, which is uh, looks like it puts them at the sixth highest shooting percentage in the league. So 
They're not like seven, one and one for real, but they are doing pretty well. Like they're playing uh, solid enough defensive hockey, solid enough offensive hockey. Like I'd say they're middle of the pack team in both categories or maybe just above the middle of the pack, but definitely not quite top five material. Okay, well, still, that should be enough to get into the playoffs, right? Like, this is a 31-team league, and 16 make the playoffs, so definitely a team to watch. Uh, That's going to be a very interesting division, right? We've always just assumed it's Tampa, Toronto, Boston fighting for the top three spots. Maybe Buffalo's in that conversation, and then one of those other teams has to uh, fight for a wild card. So, yeah, it'll be really fun to see how this goes down the stretch. By the way, since we were talking about Marcus Johansson, let's bring up another second liner that I forgot to bring up before over on Colorado. How about Andre Burakovsky making it rain? on the second line with Kadri and Donskoy lately. He's up to eight points in eight games after three points on Friday versus Florida. He didn't get any points yesterday. But Brian, like we just talked about uh, Marcus Johansson. Let's say you had to choose between Johansson and Burakovsky. Both are available in your free agency. Who would you be jumping on at this point? Like is Burakovsky someone at the top of your watches? You were really high on him going into the year. I even kind of made fun, which I'm regretting. Clearly he's locked himself in on the top line. He's doing pretty well. I I think he's doing too well, personally. Uh, I don't know if I would be jumping all over him, but definitely a very exciting start. You did make fun of me. Burakovsky's been at the top of my watch list since draft day. If you'll recall, Elon, which it sounds like you do, and anyone who listened to our almanac, we had a little bet on who would score more points this season between Burakovsky and Eunice Donskoy. And that was born of a discussion in which you figured Burakovsky was pretty much done and projected him for 35 points. I had him at 50, and my reasoning was just that Washington had destroyed him. They ripped away his minutes to the point that he was seeing just 11 minutes a night, and none of them with Baxter or Kuznetsov. Burakovsky was playing with, like, Lars Eller, if he was lucky. Also, Nick Dowd, Travis Boyd were his other more common bottom six linemates last season. Burakovsky, before that, had put up good numbers in the second and third years of his career, but then stumbled in year four, and then Washington was like, okay, I guess he's bad, and took away all this opportunity and crushed his morale so that he could not continue putting up any meaningful numbers in year five. But now here, Burakovsky is in Colorado, back up to his career high in average time on ice, playing with the best center he's had in a while in Kadri, has Donskoy on the other side, who I still hope scores fewer points than Burakovsky does, and things are working for Burakovsky. I mean, sure. He scored on a quarter of his shots, and okay, well, only one of his four assists is a primary, and he's never had such a high on ice shooting percentage. Okay, so maybe this isn't quite sustainable for Burakovsky, but he's really, uh, he's doing well, like on his own still, even with all these uh, unsustainable markers. Uh, he's never had such high shot rates before, and again, Burakovsky has both line mates and minutes back, which he lost and missed dearly last season. So I think Burakovsky's got all he needs to get on that 50-point pace I projected him for. Probably makes him a streamer. Like, this isn't to get super excited about, but he's a streamer or just above that. He should at least be on watch lists for good schedules and makes a decent depth piece in deeper leagues. Yeah, makes sense. No, I'm definitely, if I had a redo, I would go closer to 50 than to 35 for sure. Brian, you're the best. I'm the worst. Everyone knows it. Uh, so, and then, yeah, I guess Burakovsky versus Johansson, really. Like, they're both streamers that could do well. So it's, like, basically based on the schedule. I don't know if you have what, from what you've said, it doesn't sound like you have one guy way above the other. Uh, so, okay, we were talking about Vancouver before. You brought up Edmonton. Let's talk about both of their goalies. We had a question from Jamie 
C, asking, who is the more impactful starter for the next two, three weeks? Thatcher Demko or Miko Koskinen? Potentially relevant information is that I own Markstrom, who is sitting on my IR. Well, no longer, because Markstrom played today. Yeah, he took the week off to attend to a family matter. And of course, when he's saying most impactful starter, uh, yeah, it's like an interesting situation, right? Because at this point, Demko and Koskinen both look like they could be in situations where they'll be playing 50% of the time. Uh, But yeah, I wouldn't call either of them a starter. But still, okay, let's start with Edmonton who's currently actually tied with Winnipeg. Zero, oh no, Winnipeg just scored. Ah, so there you go. So Edmonton might lose this game about 10 minutes left. Mike Smith finally led in a goal. Two, let's see who scored it. Up to the minute. Who's this guy? Carl Dahlstrom. Oh, man. Well, we'll talk about him next week, I guess. I don't really know who that guy is. But uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to start with the Oilers. We've talked all about them a lot already in the first couple of episodes. I just want to point out that Koskinen and Smith have both been great so far. Koskinen has four wins in four games, 934 save percentage. Mike Smith has three wins in four games with a 917 save percentage going into today. So, of course, that's going to change. Uh, the Oilers have been going with a strict two games on, two games off policy for these goalies for the first eight games. So, Smith played the first two, then Koskinen, then Smith, then Koskinen. Now, Smith is playing today. So, I clearly overreacted to Smith getting the first two games of the season. I was like, oh, does this mean Smith is a starter? No. All it meant was that he was getting the first two games, and then they were going to go on this pattern for the rest of the year. So if my math is correct, Smith is playing today. He's probably going to play Tuesday, and then Koskinen will play on Thursday and Sunday next week against Washington and Florida, which will be two big tests for the Oilers and Koskinen, two high-scoring teams. So we'll see what happens at this point. I see this as a complete tandem, both goalies being equally valuable, uh, do you, does one have the edge for you? Does it matter? Like at this point, if you wanted to grab uh, an Edmonton goalie, which would it be or both or, or neither? I guess. I don't know. It's tough. So before Sunday's games are the numbers I'm going off of. And if you're just going by the numbers, it looks like Koskinen has the edge, right? He's still undefeated. One fewer goal against for what that's worth. And then if you want to go into other numbers, you'll see that Koskinen is also outperforming his five on five expected save percentage by a generous amount. While Mike Smith is actually underperforming his expected save percentage at five on five by a similarly generous amount. Uh, He's making up for it with some stellar penalty kill work, which is not sustainable at all. So if you want me to bet on one of them going forward, I'm actually still very nervous about betting on either of them. But you twist my arm. Logic says Miko Koskinen, but my gut says Dave Tippett would rather see Mike Smith be his guy. So does that clarify anything for you or no? Uh, I don't know. Like, in the end, it really just does seem like Dave Tippett wants to go 2-2-2-2 two, 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 two in terms of the games and just have them play exactly an equal number of games, which seems like a smart strategy because I don't think you want to depend on either of these guys to be a high-volume starter. So this is probably going to work out well, but it's going to be very frustrating in fantasy, though. If you know in advance, it could really help you strategize, right? Like, in a week where Edmonton plays three times and you're streaming goalies in and out, just take a look at the pattern and see which Edmonton goalie you want to get you the two games versus only the one game. So, okay. Then on to Jamie's question. We're going to compare Koskinen to Thatcher Demko, who played the Canucks' last three games before today. Like I said, Jacob Markstrom took the week off to attend to a family issue, and Demko absolutely crushed his first three games of the season. He stopped 26 of 27 in the win over Detroit, 34 of 37 in the win over St. Louis, and then 23 of 24 in the tough 1-0 loss to the Devils that we talked about before. That puts Demko at a 9.43 save percentage after his three games. Even better than Jacob Markstrom's uh, 926 save percentage that he had after four games. I'm not including the uh, win today over the Rangers. 
With what we've seen from Demko, though, do you think the Canucks will be forced to start giving him equal time, just like with Smith and Koskinen? Like, Markstrom has been great, but how can you be not playing Thatcher Demko when this guy is showing himself to be a fantastic player? And this is not just like a backup having some good games, like playing on back-to-backs against the weaker teams, right? He, like, took on this week and just was amazing, like, better than they could have hoped for. Like, I wonder, is it even possible that the Canucks can now afford to consider selling high on Jacob Markstrom now before he becomes a UFA at the end of the season? Like, if anything, like, if, if I'm looking at this from a fantasy lens, I'm like, Jacob Markstrom is doing really well right now. His numbers are probably well above what they'll end up as at the end of the season, so why not trade him now, see what kind of haul you can get for him, at, you know, instead of just getting nothing at the end of the year. Though, of course, on the flip side, the Canucks are actually looking like a decent team, so maybe it's good to just have two really good goalies to go on a potential playoff run. Tough situation. Either way, like, good news for Thatcher Demko, right? Because I don't think this guy's going to be, like, not playing any games moving forward for, the for like, two weeks at a time, like what we saw at the start of the season before Mark took that time off i mean you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself right last year demko made nine appearances had a 913 save percentage which last year qualified as above average this year three appearances 943 which is a great start but why would vancouver push themselves to do anything given how well jacob markstrom has been playing this year it's nice for the canucks that demko has answered the bell when needed but i don't get the sense that there's any imminent goalie controversy here or rush to push markstrom out the door because you still don't know what you have in thatcher demko maybe this is a year where the Canucks, this is definitely a year where the Canucks want to figure out what they have in Thatcher Demko because it's the last year on Markstrom's contract. But I doubt they're willing at a time when they're really gaining momentum with their fan base and with their team, where they have a legitimate shot to be a playoff bubble team, uh, that they're going to jeopardize their goaltending situation and pin it all on Demko's shoulders when they have a really good goalie in Jacob Markstrom, who is 29 years old still. Demko's 23. I I don't think they're going to give... Like, they're not going to hesitate to give Demko a shot if Markstrom leaves the door wide open. But so far, he's keeping it pretty close shut. Markstrom stopped 38 of 40 shots against the Rangers on Sunday for the win. And that's uh, why I think that the Canucks should still just consider Markstrom their 1A at worst. Like, this is not a goaltending controversy. Uh, I don't, yes. like, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, I mean, definitely, I, that was a bit, like, making some stuff up about the Canucks trading Markstrom. I'm just, like, a little concerned because he's going to be a UFA at the end of the year. Why not yeah. get something for him if you can, if you have a good ba- goalie? And don't forget, they've got but Michael But do they Di- have a good backup? Well, they have this guy, Michael DiPietro, who's supposed right. to be, like, a good thing in the future. So why not cash in on Markstrom? But you're right. Obviously, it depends on the season. And even forget about that. Let's just assume for now that Markstrom is there for the rest of the year. I still think it might just be smart. Like, we're seeing all the good NHL teams. Like, look at Boston last year running Halak and Rask pretty evenly throughout the year if the Canucks have now seen that Demko can hold his own like why not go 50-50 like I think uh let's wait and see obviously let's give it like how many how at what point in the three games Demko's played this year were you like oh yeah he, he's ready to be a starter in the NHL. Well, I, okay, but I, what, I didn't say that he should be a starter. I'm saying 50-50. Well, you're saying, they should, well, you're saying no. First, you like, they should trade Markstrom, and now you're saying it should be 50-50. Brian, first of all, I'm the voice of the people, okay? These aren't my <laughs> opinions. I'm sharing what people are thinking after Demko came in, crushed it this week. I what a do... great excuse to say a whole bunch of stuff and then not have to stand behind any of it. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that he's going to be a starter. I am saying... People you... are saying... I think that you should add Thatcher Demko if he's available in your league. He seems like he's really good, and I can see the Canucks going 50-50. I even think that might be the smart thing to do, if only to keep Jacob Markstrom 
you know, fresh and ready to go, just like uh, Boston did with Tuka Rask last year. I think it was a really great example. I'm sure St. Louis, some teams would love to do it, but they can't because their backups are terrible. Demko's right, but fine. You could smirk at me all you want. We'll bring it back up in a couple of weeks. We'll see what's happening. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying you're, you're, you're jumping here. Okay. So we'll wait and see. I mean, Demko like you're is the... about 10 starts ahead. All right, so we'll wait 10 starts when Demko's not available in any leagues, and then we'll tell people that they oh, should add oh, That'll no, be but, helpful. Sorry. So I feel like there's two discussions have it, we're having here, right? There's one where you're christening Demko at least a 50-50 starter in Vancouver, and there's this side where we're like, what should you do about him in fantasy? I'm still, like, behind it. You need a goalie. Go get Thatcher Demko. Maybe he can get starts, but... The Canucks should not be buying into that, and I still would not expect him to see... Like, I could see Demko getting 30 starts by the end of the season. Anything more than that would surprise me. Okay, well, maybe let's talk about a bet after the fact, because I think he's going to play more than 30. Uh, Okay. Okay. Why don't we talk about it now? Because uh, we got to move on. we got a lot to get to here. Uh, let's go to another sad question now. We're, we're talking about too many happy things with these goalies doing well. And that's not the keeping Carlson away early in the season. We need to be bummed out about stuff. So let's go to a sad question from Ryan S. Who asked, uh, can you touch on Minnesota and particularly Dumba? They seem horrible. And the hopes for a big season for him aren't looking good if no one can score. Interested to get your take on it. So um, Minnesota did play today. And they actually won a game, believe it or not, against Montreal. It helped that Keith Kincaid was in nets for the halves. I don't know if uh, they would have been able to win against Carey Price, but hey, a win is a win. Matt Dumba had an assist. So that's kind of nice. We got a point there. He can add that to his previous two points in seven games. So we're now at three points in eight games for Matt Dumba. Definitely not uh, the start for him that people were hoping for. He was actually pointless in five games before getting Keith Kincaid today. Uh, he's been getting great deployment, like big even strength power play, even shorthanded minutes. Like I said, not much to show for it. Uh, Dumba has been putting decent shots on net, like 19 shots in seven games going into today. Put him on pace for 222 shots, which, which would crush his career high of 176 shots from 2017-18. Uh, that was the year that he put up 50 points and kind of came onto the map. Um, we've already said you could pretty much drop all of the wild forwards in previous episodes. I think, Brian, you're still clinging to Parise. But uh, is it time to even potentially start panicking about the defenseman, specifically Matt Dumba? This is a guy that people were drafting, hoping for a 50-point defenseman. Right now, I'd love to see him get onto a, like a 40-point pace. And I'm not going to read much into today's game. Don't tell me that Parise scored a goal, by the way, because I'm just saying <laughs> Keith Kincaid is not a good goalie. But anyways, we're not talking about the Habs. We're talking about Minnesota and Matt Dumba. What do you think? Well, Zach Parise did score a goal, unlike Carl Dahlstrom, whose goal was called back. So as of 9-17 on Sunday, October 20th, the Mike Smith shutout is still alive, 0-0, wow. uh, for all the late live game updates. Uh, we're talking about Minnesota, though, and Matt Dumba, who may be pointless in six games now, but Minnesota has only scored... No, he was well, pointless many- in five, and he got an assist today. Okay, so he was pointless in five, Uh Minnesota had only scored 10 goals in that time. Like, okay, it would have been nice for Dumba to have gotten in on any of that action, but I still don't know we should be putting any of this on Matt Dumba, though the Wilds are shooting barely 4.5% with him on the ice at 5-on-5 when you want them to be shooting uh, around 8% would be very reasonable, Uh, and they've scored but once on 22 power play shots with him on the ice, which is, again, a 4.5% conversion rate. Uh, which is a sad five-on-five shooting percentage, but it is a straight-up deplorable power play on-ice shooting percentage, that 4.5% conversion rate. I made Matt Dumba the centerpiece of my defense in one league, and it has been painful. 
I don't know how the ship is going to get righted in Minnesota. Like, I think it can. But this is a team-wide situation right now where everything is going wrong. And it's times like these where it's hard to pick out one guy like Matt Dumba and say what mix of his numbers are because he's the cause of the team's troubles and what part of his numbers are because he's being affected by the team's troubles. I don't think it's a good idea to single him out and say, where's his production when his team, the Wild, are in the bottom five in pretty much every offensive way at five on five and on the power play. So I think at this point, you're not judging Dumba. You're deciding whether or not you want to jump ship on Minnesota as a whole. And I don't know, maybe you do. Like, it doesn't happen that often, I think, where teams get out to such an awful start and then... Like, I I was trying to think of teams, Elon, in recent memory that started surprisingly badly and stayed that way all year. I know Carolina was bad out of the gate not long ago, but they were a really good team and they did get things figured out. And I'm not sure Minnesota is a really good team this year. So I, I don't know. I'm curious to know what your level of faith in Minnesota is right now, because that's what this comes down to. If you own Matt Dumba... I think all you have to do, regardless of your faith in Minnesota, if you have if you have Dumba and invested in him, uh, you wait and you hold your breath because the upside for 20 goals is still there. This team just needs something, anything to begin building upon. And maybe this game against Montreal uh, could be it. Yeah, I mean, he got a point today. Like you say, there's not much you could do about it. Like, you're not going to drop Matt Dumba at this point. We're definitely not getting to that point recommending that yet. Like, he'll need to be pointless for another, like, couple weeks before we start having that conversation. Uh, but also, I don't know. It's I, I'm not very excited about Minnesota. Things haven't been good. Maybe a coaching change at some point could change things. Or maybe, like you say, Brian, maybe this uh, win today can somehow spark some confidence in them. I actually streamed in Eric Stahl for today. He got an assist, so who knows? I don't know. Maybe and Parise, like we said, scored a goal. So maybe a bunch of these guys who will need to get points to help Matt Dumba get points. Maybe if they get going, he goes with them, or you know, he'll probably help them go there. So tough to say. Gotta wait, but yeah, it's like if you have him, what can you do? You're not going to drop him if you sell him. You're going to get nothing for him. I'd rather wait yeah. for him to at least get a you know points in a couple games in a row, and then at least sell him at somewhat of a reasonable value. If you were going to give up or keep the faith, let's say if you were going to keep the faith on one team between Dallas and Minnesota. Who would you keep the faith Dallas. for? It's got to be Dallas, right? Like, would you keep any faith for Minnesota? Like, how certain are you that, like, none of their players are going to be consistently relevant through the year? I don't know, 50%? Like, you know, it's, it's hard to say still. They, they The problem with Minnesota is their players are old. Like, all the good players that you expect to do well, like, aside from Dumba, you know, like, Suter, Stahl, Parise, like, like all these guys that are, like, Koivu, you know, like, they're going to have to, like, Zuccarello, who's injured, you know, like, these are all, like, 30-plus aged players, and so it, it might just be that they're, you know, not able to keep up with the league as much as they were in previous years. Like, Dallas... Come on, like you've got Sagan, you've got like like well, Radulov's kind of old, but like Hints, like they, Ben, like I mean, they're older but not as old. So I don't know. I'm still more. Also, just these names on Dallas are bigger name players. So I don't know if that was an interesting take or not, or if I'm just rambling. Maybe I should just move on to the next thing I want to talk about right now, which are like if you're one of the people who actually does believe in Minnesota, now might be a good time to start maybe placing some bets on them because the odds are that they're going to lose, which means you could get some potentially good payouts. And if you're going to make a bet, you want to use our other sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at MyBookie. If I would have told you at any point prior to this season that the Patriots and 49ers would be two remaining undefeated teams in the NFL through six weeks, you'd call me crazy, right? Maybe you would... Wait a sec. What am I reading here? (laughs) Wait, what's that? Let me... Sorry, wrong, wrong ad read. Here we go. 
If I would have told you at any point prior to this season that the Sabres and Oilers would be two of the top teams in the NHL through three weeks, you'd call me crazy, right? Maybe you wouldn't, because you saw it coming. But the Sabres are 7-1-1, one, and, one, and they don't even have Montour. What exactly will, <laughs> will it take to stop them? It continues to be an exciting season. And Who would I'll t- have thought they'd have done that without Brandon Montour? <laughs> I know. We, we had some copy to read from my bookie, but it was all NFL. They were like, uh, well, they, the Patriots don't even have Gronkowski. So I don't who's know. the one injured Buffalo Sabre? Uh, Brandon Montour actually should probably be like a 20 minute plus defenseman, which is pretty significant on a team. Like, I think the Buffalo. It's, it's like Buffalo's a very exciting team. Anyway, I, I really like my bookie. I've gone to their site to place a couple bets. Like, we talked a couple weeks ago how I bet on Olafson to win the Calder. I think they had those odds a little too high, but at the same time, right now, we just talked about how he might get bumped from the top power play. So who knows? Maybe now it's back to Jack Hughes as the top contender. It's a very exciting race for the Calder at this point. But anyway. Between football season, the MLB playoffs, the start of the NBA and NHL seasons, it's time to get off the sideline, get in on the action. There's plenty to bet on and always cash to be won. And, like, it is really fun on there. There are, like, a ton of things to bet on. You can bet on these, like, long-term things, like who's going to win the cup or who's going to win different trophies. You could bet on games, like, before they happen. You could also bet, like, live and the odds change in real time as the game's going on. Like, Montreal was up at one point in this game today against Minnesota. Probably would have been smart to go and bet on the Wild to come back and win. You probably would have gotten really good odds and you bet against Keith Kincaid uh, blowing it. You bet for Keith Kincaid blowing it. That's usually a pretty good bet. Uh, So yeah, if you want to get in on some of the fun over at MyBookie, just check it out, mybookie.ag. And we even have a really cool offer from them right now. If you use the promo code KEEPINGCARLSON to activate your offer, uh, you're going to double your cash. Like, they're just going to double the amount that you deposited, and you could bet double the money. So that's mybookie.ag. And use that promo code KEEPINGCARLSON. Double your cash. You play, you win, you get paid. You know, I've heard that my bookie is so popular, it spun off a Girl Guides version called My Cookie. <laughs> Amazing. And it's also a, a web joke because cookies are part of the internet. Okay. See, Brian, you've got a lot of good material here. I think you should make a spin off podcast where you could like get all of these great. Uh, that tweet that you made earlier today. <laughs> Uh, you I just guess want there... me to house it somewhere else other than keeping Carlson because you're <laughs> embarrassed by it. Like, there's probably a market for these kinds of jokes. But basically, the Chicago Blackhawks tweeted celebrating Greek Heritage Night with our favorite Greek Blackhawk, Chris Chelios. And then Brian retweeted, damn, that's got to hurt the other Greek Blackhawks' feelings. Ah! <laughs> good one. <laughs> wow. It's reading tweets is a really good thing and we should do it more often. <laughs> I mean, when you read funny tweets, it's good. <laughs> when you read tweets is like it? that, yeah, you expect you know what you're going to get. So, let's keep going. Also, you totally missed my Garnet Hathaway. No, it was funny earlier. Uh, oh, okay. I smirked. There was like no acknowledgement from you or the chat. I just thought I didn't actually say it. No, you said Thanks it. Thanks for smirking. It was a dream. I was muted at the time, but I, I, was, I was guffawing heavily. You just couldn't hear it, so I apologize. Uh, okay, so next question we've got here. Brendan P. asks, thoughts on dropping Voracek? So a nice gateway to bring up the latest Philly lines that I wanted to bring up this episode anyway, because, yeah, they've shaken up things again. This team is, like, losing a lot of games in a row, unfortunately, so that's what's going to happen. But you've got Sean Couturier back on the top line with Giroux and Konechny, just like the good old days from last year and even the year before. Then they've been running Hayes with Voracek and Lindblom on line two, and then JVR with Tyler Pitlick and Scott Lawton on the third line. The top power play versus Dallas yesterday. This was interesting, Brian. Get ready for this. Couturier, Giroux, Konechny, Voracek, and Provorov. 
So some wild stuff to digest here, but at the same time, probably not worth putting too much stock into things as Philly is off to this slow start. They just lost to the, you know, now two seven and one stars. So everything gets shaken up even before the next game. But still, like as things stand now, like great news for Sean Couturier. We were worried about him on the second line and second power play. At least I was worried about him. You said, don't worry. And you were right, Brian, because he's back on the top line. Top power play. He has points in three straight games. If you bought low on Couturier, like Brian suggested, feel free to send him flowers because uh, he deserves it. That was a really good call. Uh, also, an amazing development for Travis Konechny, who now is up to eight points in six games, is as must-own as must-own can be, in my opinion. He's still only 44% owned on Yahoo. He's having an amazing start to the year, and he's getting the top possible deployment, including top power play, which he's never really seen before. So yeah, go get Travis Konechny for sure. Then we have Voracek, and that's who Brendan asked asked about uh and yeah he had that great two goal one assist game at edmonton on wednesday but aside from that he's done nothing all season no points in any of the other games still though kind of hard to recommend dropping him early on like he's still in the top six and on the top power play and he's jacob voracek so i wouldn't be giving up on him uh the ones that i'd be especially concerned about are kevin hayes james van riemsdyk and shane goss's if i had any of these guys my finger would be hovering over the drop button at this point i'd be very concerned between the three of them they have only one goal which was a goal by kevin hayes back on the ninth no other points for any of these guys hayes jvr or go spare zeros across the board is it time to let these guys go until something changes like the one i'm hesitant about dropping is jvr since he has a whopping 32 shots through six games it's really hard to find that kind of shot production in free agency and you'd expect more of them to go in but like hayes you know off the top line off the top power play goss bear bump from the top power play still getting low minutes gotta let these guys go at some point right at some point yes but is that point Right now, first, I'm, I'm with you on Couturier just being so great and Konechny also being great. But let's break down the guys who are not doing so great. Starting with our friend Jake, Mr. Voracek, who at five on five has a 3% on ice shooting percentage, which again is not his own shooting percentage. It's the shooting percentage of his whole team while he's on the ice. So that's bad. Uh, he's down seven on ice shot attempts per 60 minutes, and he's still seeing a three-minute drop in his nightly ice time. I still don't know what's going on with that. But these are just team-level effects that are bringing him down. His own rates are down, not by a ton. Uh, and Voracek has only scored once, or no, he's only been on the ice for one goal on 31 on-ice shots for, and he got an assist on it. So good for him. But that's not good, right? That's where that 3% on-ice shooting percentage is coming from. His power play production is fine, I feel like these are things that are going to even out. It's not going to be this bad for him all the way through. Uh, and then you look at Kevin Hayes, who I think maybe you can drop. He has a sub 2% on ice shooting percentage at 5 on 5. The good news is that Hayes is getting more shots than he did as a Ranger, but no goals at 5 on 5 to show for it yet. Like, I don't hate Kevin Hayes. You know I was high on him going into the year, but he's not doing anything right now, and he doesn't have, like, a sexy marquee name, so you can drop Kevin Hayes. Keep him close, though. I think he's going to be fantasy relevant again at some point. And then Van Riemsdyk, he has yet to be on the ice for a 5-on-5 goal this year. He's played 81 minutes of 5-on-5 ice time. 51 shots have been taken while he's been on the ice. He's taken 20 shots himself. And absolutely nothing to show for it. Not one has gotten past the goalie, but under the hood, Van Riemsdyk is actually looking really great. He's seeing more five-on-five ice time than last year, which is nice because we wanted to see that in Philly and we didn't quite see it last season. But here it is now. 
And Van Riemsdyk's shot rates are also crazy high. Like, he's always been a high-volume shooter, but what he's shown so far is another world even on top of that. So with him especially, you need to practice some patience. If I had to let Van Riemsdyk, Hayes, and Voracek go one at a time, I'd probably let Hayes go first, and then it gets tough. Like, I like what Van Riemsdyk is doing, but I think Voracek's ceiling is higher. So I think I'd drop Van Riemsdyk first, uh, second, and then Voracek. What do you think, Elon? What would your order be? No, I agree with that order, as long as we could also drop Gosses Behar first before everybody. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about him. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so sad about this. Gosses Behar continues to lose ice time and like pos- like good deployment situations. He also, by the way, is not seeing pucks go in while he's on the ice. Only two goals have been scored while he's on the ice on 52 on ice shots, which comes out to a sub 4% on ice shooting percentage at five on five. Like Goss and these other guys, they're having a lousy time. It's not all their fault. It's also not like Minnesota because they have some teammates that are doing just fine, but Philadelphia is not getting scoring outside of their top line. You've got Oscar Lindblom who has four points in six games, but that's it for secondary scoring. Voracek has three points in six games. That's half a point per game. That's not good. And the rest is total trash. So I think that's going to correct in Philadelphia. And hopefully Gossip Bear can last long enough, like in some sort of grace of the coach, to be in the right place at the right time to ride the wave when it does finally come, that wave of scoring for Philadelphia. But I completely understand if everyone is over him. He and Clefbaum, right, are the two guys that I continue to hold a candle for because I see the offensive potential and the upside and what should happen for them. Clefbaum finally paying off so far this year. Gosses Bear's got to be next. Come on. Well, the big difference right now, like I've been kind of with you uh, to some small extent about holding onto Gosses Bear because he was still running the top power play. Now that he's lost that, forget about it. Get, you know, let him go. If you see him get back there, sure, try him again. I'm sure no one's going to be rushing to grab him out of free agency unless they're, you know, named Brian Com and they just really love this player. But I think he might be over. Uh, you know who's not over, by the way? Carl uh, Haglin. Another assist today, Brian. Uh, <laughs> nothing for Verona and Haglin has two assists. So just throwing it out I love there. that suddenly you're you're rubbing Carl Haglin in my face. Like the moment I'm like, you know, I don't love Carl Haglin the way I once did. You never liked him. Yeah, well, no, I'm just saying because you said something about how like you think Verona is so much better and he deserves to be in the top six over Haglin. I feel like they're very similar to me at this point. I think Jacob Verona, might, it might not be his year. But anyways, okay, let's go on to a couple tweets now. At Shane C. Thompson asked, uh, I regret my Bobrovsky by... I knew better. Imagine the GMs in Florida right now crossing fingers, legs, toes, anything crossable that signing him to that deal wasn't their biggest mistake ever. The D are a clear, huge issue, but there's still, uh, there was more expected from Bobrovsky. It's not even a question, more of a comment that I would also like to discuss with you, Brian. The Panthers did pick up a big win yesterday versus the Predators on the back of a great goalie performance, but that goalie was Sam Montembeau. Montembeau had two goals against on 27 shots to help secure the 3-2 win. In fact, Montembeau has been great so far in his three appearances with a 9.33 save percentage versus the Preds, Islanders, and Canes. He played one period versus the Canes in relief of Bobrovsky. Meanwhile, Bobrovsky has been putrid. He has an 8.72 save percentage, a 4.07 goals against average over eight games. 
Oh my gosh, would you be worried as a Bobrovsky owner, like both A, that he might not be as good as you hoped for, and B, that Sam Montembeau could start getting more starts, or is now like just the best buy low opportunity you'll ever see to get Bobrovsky for super cheap because people might be freaking out about him like I'm pretending to be right now? All right, so you're pretending. All right, like, like how freaked out are you on a scale of 1 to 10 where 1 is not at all, 10 is extremely... Well, luckily, I don't have him, so I, I'm too busy freaking out about Devin Dubnik to be freaking out about um, Bobrovsky. But I mean, no, I mean, I'd be definitely a little concerned, like I maybe a five at this point. Like, I think that he's not going to be the top goalie in the league. Like, he's probably going to have a good run at some point, but he's shown last year he's, he can be inconsistent. This Florida team, like Shane said, you know, isn't known for having great defense. So, yeah, if you bet big on Bobrovsky in your draft and got him, like, in the first, second round or spent a lot of auction dollars, like, you should be kicking yourself right now. You could have gotten someone like Grubauer, like, so much, like, Carter Hutton, like, for nothing. Like, Grubauer, you would have had to spend a little, but still, like, nothing compared to Bobrovsky, and you'd be so much happier right now. I agree, right? This is a mistake to ever go this big on a goalie. And anyone who did it on Bob this year definitely did not do it on Bob last year because that would have totally put them off of going ahead and like investing a lot in Bobrovsky because I'm having a bit of deja vu as someone who did make the mistake of accidentally going big on Bobrovsky last year for his last season in Columbus. Uh, I was faced with a lot of the same questions that Bobrovsky owners are facing this year. Uh, he started the year last season with an 872 over his first six games, and then there was talk of Eunice Corpusalo out of nowhere. Like, this was not, not supposed to happen that Corpusalo was going to get to play more, but they're like, oh yeah, they want him to play at least once a week. Uh, and then that had all sort of continued for a while where Bobrovsky stunk and Corpusalo kept, like, getting chances to play and never ran away with anything but it was still concerning every time that Carposalo put up a start where he didn't stink um and this is where Bobrovsky owners sit now because he's playing 53 points below his expected save percentage at five on five he's putting up an 867 versus the 920 that the Florida defense is offering him at five on five and Bobrovsky has one of the worst numbers in the league that way uh, the good news for him which I said last year, is that I don't think Montembeau is much of a threat, the same way Corpusalo wasn't. So that's the ray of hope for Bobrovsky owners. I mean, Florida made this giant bet, and you better believe they're going to see it through, right? But if you made a similar bet at the draft table, that sucks. And I guess you uh, just need to ride this one out. If you don't own Bobrovsky, though, uh, like Elon, you're asking, is this a great buy low opportunity? I would. I'd buy low, but I would also remember when doing it that last season, Bobrovsky did not really figure anything out on a consistent basis until like February, at which point he could win you weeks on his own. Of course, uh, he might have already done enough damage to your team to make those wins a lot less meaningful towards the end of the season. So I think Bobrovsky now as a Florida Panther makes a reasonably safe buy low, but you know, he is a goalie and we don't offer anything resembling a guarantee when it comes to goalies. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm going to disagree. Like, I wouldn't, like, it depends how low you can buy, obviously. I'm not sending, like, a Grubauer, for example, for Bobrovsky, even though Grubauer would have been drafted so much later. Like, it would have to be pretty low to make me interested. Like, I don't want you to all of a sudden give up, like, a big piece. It's like, well, like, I, he was drafted, like, two rounds later than Bobrovsky, so technically this is a buy low. Like, I am a little concerned. He'll probably do well at times, but, yeah. And also, like, Montembeau, I know you're just, like, wiping him away, being like, ah, he's nothing. Forget about him. Like, he's doing well. And, like, as much as Florida spent on Bobrovsky on the contract, 
Blackjack, they also uh, spent money on some other players, and they need to try to, you know, right the ship and get into the playoffs. And at least in the short term, I'm not saying it's going to happen all season, but at least in the short term, you got to go with the goalie that you think gives you the better chance to win, right? Okay, how about this one? Carter Hutton for Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it gets tough. <laughs> like, if I was a Hutton owner, <laughs> I'd be very nervous to make that trade. That's the kind of trade that you could end up regretting later in the season when Buffalo is, like, you know, an awesome playoff team and Hutton plays a ton of the games and, and Florida, like, misses the playoffs. Like, you projected, Brian, you projected Florida to not make the playoffs, right? So, Well, I said Montreal would finish ahead of them. Yeah, but I think you... So far, I'm winning that one. Are you? I don't know. It's getting closer. Montreal just lost today. But, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's close. Like, honestly, I just wouldn't, uh, I'd rather just ride out my hot goalie, but obviously I'm going to look really dumb in a couple of months. I mean, you should get more. You should be able to get Bob Plus for Carter Hutton, who's coming off two straight shutouts and is on the yeah. top team in the league right now. No one with Bobrovsky is accepting a return, like, a, a deal where they need to send Bobrovsky and somebody just to get Carter Hutton. Honestly, like, I might be wrong. Like, I, I, Alfred is saying, by the way, Bob's always, always sucked in October, so maybe I... You're right. Fine. Like... I don't know. I don't like playing games like that, to be honest. I'd rather just stick with my team that's doing well and not rock the boat that much. For But what if your team isn't doing well? This yeah. is... Yeah, if, if I want to take a swing, but, you know, my team's probably doing pretty well if I have Carter Hutton in net. But, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I'm actually very curious to know. I don't, I don't have a strong opinion here, and I'm very curious to hear what people think. Like, tweet at us or let us know on Facebook, would you trade Carter Hutton for Sergei Bobrovsky straight up right now? I'm, I'm guessing most people will say they would. Uh, I'd be, I don't know, a little nervous. I'm into Buffalo, like we said. Uh, by the way, on Florida, Keith Yandel, we're getting a lot of questions about him. He's also off to a slow start. Only three points in eight games. Plus, his minutes are way down. That's kind of been a theme with some of the defense when we've been talking about. Only 14 minutes and 36 seconds yesterday versus the Preds. Though, of course, Yandel was still on the top power play. He actually did pick up a power play assist. Still, gotta imagine, it's going to be tough for Yandel to match his 62 points from last season if his time on ice continues to be cut like this. Especially, like, he had 39 power play points last year. That's already a mark that's very unlikely for him to be able to repeat. So if his even strength points are going to go down as well, we might be looking at a drop from, like, 62 points to maybe, like, 45 to 50 points, which is still good but nothing close to what he did last year doing what yandel did last year is going to be a tall order for yandel this year i guess because joel quenville does not really seem fond of his defensive play huh yandel is down nearly five minutes five minutes of five on five ice time per game he's getting uh, like an extreme dose of the brian campbell edit when brian campbell was traded to chicago and joel quenville became his coach uh Brian Campbell never played 25 minutes a night again the way he had before coming to Chicago, though he still played like 22, 23 minutes. Yandel, however, is being held accountable, it seems, for his defensive shortcomings in a bit more of an extreme way. And I'm not sure that Yandel is going to rise above the third pair all season long, which is obviously going to hurt his production. Yandel managed... 18 five-on-five five points last year with, like, first pairing even strength minutes. He had 31 points at five-on-five five with similar minutes the year before. And uh last year, like, he only got 18, but he probably deserved about 25. That would have been a fair expectation because of having a super low IPP. Um, But this season... I think somewhere around 15 five-on-five points is all we can hope for with such a huge cut to Yandel's five-on-five ice time. So maybe we can hope for like 30 power play points. That would be nice, right? He had 39 last year. He's still getting that top billing, but Yandel is not going to top those up with enough five-on-five points to get back to 55-60 point territory. The good news is that Yandel is still shooting even without this five-on-five ice time, 23 shots in eight games, despite the cut in minutes. 
which is somehow in line with last year because he's upped his shot rates. But we'll see if Yandel can make that last all year. He's still going to need to be getting three shots per game. Uh, and the majority of those are obviously going to be coming on the power play. So what I'm saying here is Yandel owners, don't be shy to try and find someone who thinks they're being clever and buying low on Keith Yandel. If you can even sell him as a 50 point guy, you might come out ahead and apologies to anybody who went big on Yandel drafting him sort of like a Tyson Barry type. Uh, He's just not going to get there with his minutes this year. And we should mention Elon that Keith Yandel's minutes have largely gone to Mackenzie Weger, uh, who has five points in eight games with decent shot counts. He's got two per game and uh, throws a a hit and a half per game. So Mackenzie Weger off to a, a decent start this season, seeing almost 20 minutes of ice per night, an okay like depth stream, but I don't think he's anybody you need to go rush for, especially because he scored uh, twice on 16 shots to help get him to five points in eight games, which is not a sustainable scoring pace. Okay, but twice in 16 shots isn't terrible. Also, it's kind of like when you said that that power play it's had 13%. Like, yeah, so, you know, maybe he should have had for one defenseman, goal. For a defenseman, yeah. Yeah, sorry. It's sorry to interrupt you. But yeah, it's like one extra goal at this point in the season. Yeah, like sometimes when you talk about these guys who have two goals, you wouldn't expect you like two goals on five shots, you know, like uh, two goals. Yeah, but still high. Mackenzie Weger. Okay, I'm writing his name down and uh, I will remember to check him out and see if we need to bring him up to discuss further if he continues to somewhat produce and have good peripherals. Uh, good defenseman to, you know, we're, I'm going to bring up a bunch of defensemen at the end of the episode that are giving you good peripherals. So add Weger to the list. Since we're on Florida, Alex Barkov left yesterday's game early with an injury hopefully not serious we don't really know much uh, apparently it's like not serious but who knows if he's gonna miss any time if he is out for any stretch you've got to imagine vincent trocek would be the biggest beneficiary getting back on the top power play where he did so well in 2017-18 uh, but speaking of trocek is it time for us to start paying attention to brett Connolly, who's been playing on the second line with trocek and hoffman for most of the season Connolly has scored in three straight games now he's up to seven points in eight games overall and like to me like we talked about other second liners like Johansson and Burakovsky. I think I might like Connolly the best of the three. Like, uh, assuming Connolly holds the spot, which I don't see why he wouldn't, what kind of ceiling are we looking at with this guy? Like, remember how last year everyone was jumping all over Frank Vetrano when he was getting top six time on Florida? Should this maybe be the same thing, but for Brett Connolly instead? Brett Connolly. Here's a fun fact that you can impress your friends with. Brett Connolly has now scored on 56 of his last 302 shots going back to his arrival in Washington in 2016-17. I'll do the math there for you. That is an 18.5% shooting percentage. Wow, Brett Connolly. He was drafted with a scorer's pedigree, uh, but he's not someone who takes a ton of shots on goal. He's someone who seems very selective with his shots on goal, and when he does take them, he seems pretty good at making about one in five of them count. Uh, so way to go, Brett Connolly, who made noise and was worth streaming last year from Washington's third line. So now we're seeing him play on a second line with a career high 15 minutes a night with the best line mates he's ever had. That makes Brett Connolly definitely worth a look. Just remember, not a ton of shots. So if he doesn't score, you're hoping he gets an assist else he's not really doing anything to fill any categories for you. But if you're looking for goals, uh, you can make worse bets. Yeah, I mean, goals and shots are things that I like out of players I have on my fantasy team. I'm usually more worried about the players who only get assists rather than players who only get goals. He could always take a shot and then there's a rebound and someone else scores the goal. He gets a, a free assist without even having to pass to anybody. Right, but you heard the part where Connolly does not take a lot of shots. Yeah, well, fair. Okay. Okay. 
just trying to fill some time here. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. What? Uh, <laughs> fill some time in our two-hour show. <laughs> we really need to stretch this thing out. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you're saying we should keep going then. Uh, there was a tweet that I retweeted from Vince Z. Marcogliano. So maybe related to the Cogliano that used to be on... Okay, that's a stupid joke. Uh, he is a Rangers beat writer, and he tweeted out some interesting lines recently with Chris Kreider on the top line with Panarin and Zibanejad. Buchnevich got bumped to the second line at the time to, with Kako and Brett Howden. I just retweeted it saying like pretty big change in New York definitely look to see if Kreider's out there then at Orad replied this kills Buchnevich and I replied if it lasts and at this point now it's been a couple games let's take a look uh yeah I don't know about Pavel Buchnevich at this point in today's game versus the Canucks which is another loss for the now two and four New York Rangers they were running yeah Kreider on the top line with Panarin and Zibanejad then Buchnevich on I guess the second line with Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast maybe that's the third line I don't know and then they had Kako playing with Brett Howden and Brendan Lemieux so like not good news for anyone really aside from Kreider who gets to the top line and uh we'll see what he can do there and how long he stays there like no points today against Jacob Markstrom and the Vancouver Canucks but yeah like what do you think Brian of all of these shakeups at this point like we were talking about Buchnevich on the top line top power but we were super excited about him at this time do you drop him are we dropping Kako at this point in one year leagues if he's going to be on the second or third line uh, also you shared a tweet with me today Adam Herman tweeted that maybe Philip Heedle is going to get called up and Quinn said that they've thought about putting him with Zibanejad and Panarin to get him going which would then mean that Kreider once again loses his value so I guess I don't want to recommend for people to jump and grab Chris Kreider if you can like I don't know the Rangers are kind of a mess right now I feel like there's really nobody you could trust aside from Zibanejad and Panarin on like for the forwards I think that's the moral of the story here, right? If you have Buchnevich, uh, he's not an automatic guy to hold. Uh, it's sad he's off the top power play. And anyone not on the top line is kind of in trouble right now for finding scoring help. Uh, if you have anybody who's not Zibanejad or Panarin, they're worth holding on to just to see exactly where this blender ends for the Rangers. I, you know, like I, I own Buchnevich in a league and I think I'm going to hold on to him just a little longer, at least until we see how many more desperation line combinations the Rangers are going to use and where he's going to fit there. Same with Chris Kreider, right? I'll stream him for one game, see what line he plays on, and then I'll decide if I want him for another game. I'm not making any long-term commitments to either of these guys, though. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm into Kreider as someone who's been like a top liner for many years. I think you're being way too uh, conservative with uh, Vucinevich. Let him go, Brian. There's probably better options in free agent. I'd like to see your free agent list. It's like when we get a tweet and they're like, should I hold on to Vucinevich? I'm like, well, who are your options? I have a feeling when I see your options, I'm going to see someone that I'm going to recommend you drop Vucinevich for. So I'm probably going to drop Vucinevich. I'm just like, there's reason to maybe hold on a little longer. Sure. That's more my style than yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, any anyone could potentially get on the top line. You can just hold on to every, You know, like right now he's bumped. He has no value, I think, off the top line. So you'd basically be holding someone just for hoping for... For a deployment change. I think instead, in most people's situations, unless you have very limited ads, of course, you can probably drop him. And then if you want to be quick and add him back before he even plays on the top line, but just you see a at game day lines retweet telling you that he's back on the top line, then sure, you could grab him early before he produces. But I don't think you need to hold on to him because no one is going to jump on him since he's been cold and now bumped, in my opinion. But of course, Brian, you usually end up right in the long term. So watch now, Buchnevich get like 60 points by the end of the season. 
So, okay, that concludes my Q&A, which kind of devolved by the end where I was just telling you a conversation I had with at Orad. But uh, let's go like a bit of a lightning round now. Some other players I wanted to bring up on this episode. We got to go to Toronto. John Tavares broke a finger on Wednesday. He's going to be out at least a couple of weeks. This led to the Leafs uh, running the following lines for the majority of the game yesterday in the 4-3 overtime win over Boston. So they had Matthews with Marner and Andreas Janssen. So how about that? For, right away. Big news. Matthews Marner. United for the first time in forever. Okay. That's exciting. Then they had uh, Kerfoot centering Ilya Mikhaev and uh, Nylander. And then Kapanen on a third line with like Trevor Moore and Spezza. So basically forget about Kapanen for now. Andreas Janssen, though, then left the game with a leg injury. Babcock said he's going to be fine. So may not be worth paying much attention to what the practice lines were today without Janssen. But they had Nick Patan on a line with Matthews and Nylander. So if, you know, Janssen stays out for a game and the Leafs do play tomorrow. So uh, I don't know, maybe you could stream in a Nick Patan. Tan. I don't know about that. But anyway, with everything in flux, I would just like to take the opportunity to ask you about your thoughts on a couple of these new top sixers who we haven't really discussed in a lot. One of them we haven't talked about in a while, and one of them we've definitely never talked about ever. The one we've never talked about is Ilya Mikhaev. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's like had already bumped Kapanen from the top six before the injury, so he definitely seems like someone to watch, or maybe just add ASAP. Like like I said, the Leafs play four times next week, and Mikhaev has four points in his last four games, 15 shots in those games. Who the heck is, is Ilya Mikhaev? Uh, Toronto, I feel like I live in Toronto. I'm supposed to know, like, of all the teams, I would know about the random players coming in and out. And yet, like, uh, in the offseason, we were talking about, like, Jason Spezza and whoever. Like, I didn't even hear this name. So what, how did I miss this guy? Well, allegedly, he loves soup. That's uh, that's the thing that people in Toronto apparently know about Ilya Mikhaev. But what you should know as a fantasy owner is that uh, Mikhaev is an undrafted native of Omsk, who signed a one-year contract with Toronto back in May after he led his Omsk avant-garde in scoring with 22 goals, 23 assists for 45 points in 62 games. A couple of his teammates, by the way, Cody Franson and David DeHarnay. Wow, what a team <laughs> over there in Omsk. Uh, Mikheyev, uh, like just finished up his fourth season in the KHL. He's not some young guy. He just turned 25 now as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Happy belated birthday, Ilya. And really the only other thing we need to know about him is that he's going to be playing on a line with either Nylander or Mitch Marner, which is a nice place to be. I think he probably projects from what I've read about him uh, to be more of a top nine producer than a top six producer but hey where he is works very well for me now so i'd be very happy to add him to my fantasy roster as i already have in the cupful. Ooh, well he's still available in one of my leagues and i might have to consider adding him before we release this episode i'd be dropping maybe zach parise so brian i don't know what do you think at this point gut decision it's a stream spot like parise might even still be available like I said, Minnesota uh, doesn't play as many games as Toronto next week. Do I have permission? Can I get rid of Parise, even though he scored a goal today against Keith Kincaid? Yeah, he scored a goal. He's doing quite well in our format right now. So I would probably keep Parise. The The reason I have Mikhaev is he's playing twice in the first three games next week, or the first three days of the matchup. So I don't know if I'm going to hold him 
longer than that, but Parisi, I will be holding longer than that. I see. Fair enough. Okay, so I'll have to think about it. Uh, and then the other guy I wanted to bring up, Alex Kerfoot, who you know came in to be a third-line center, but with Tavares out, he's gotten to play on the second line. He scored in the win over the Bruins yesterday, saw his most ice time of the season. He played 16 minutes and 34 seconds, centering that second line. Is he probably worth a deep league stream, assuming he'll get either Marner or Nylander as a line mate? Like, at least, for like you said, for those Monday-Tuesday games, why not grab Kerfoot if you're looking for someone to give you a couple games in a couple days yep do it okay and then brian how smug are you feeling about tyson barry's current six game pointless streak this guy's totally just going to be a 40 point guy this year and i'm going to look like a real dummy for thinking he could have done better right I take no pleasure in this Elon, but yeah, it hasn't been a great start for Tyson Barry, and I don't see a ton of reason to think there's a massive turnaround coming. Like, I said in our almanac, I think 50 is a reasonable point total to hope for, barring an injury to Morgan Riley, but like, I... I think he's still capable of that. He's going to be better than he has been in his last six games. He He's just not going to be quite as better as you'd have thought. Yeah, if he's dropped in your league, which I don't know if that's happened yet, but it might start happening if he goes another game or two without a point, I'd jump on him. Like, I'd grab him. I'd probably drop a few fab dollars to get him. But yeah, maybe not 50 plus. Maybe we're hoping 50 as a ceiling at this point and maybe closer to 45. Uh, it's too bad. Like, the Leafs score a lot of goals. But I guess Jake Gardner was the second power play guy last year on the Leafs team that scored a lot of goals. and He only got around 40 points. So why should we expect that much more from Barry. I thought Barry was something special, but maybe there was something to do with the fact that he got all those sweet, sweet power play points on the avalanche. Uh, Brian Little is returning to the Jets today. Uh, actually, that game has already finished. What happened in that game in the end? Uh, Winnipeg won in the shootout. one nothing. Shootout. Double. Yeah, so no goals were scored. Double shutout. Wow. Mike Smith and uh, Connor Hellebuck, two players who we've at different times said, forget about this person. Well, Hellebuck, we were just a little nervous about at the start of the year. He's clearly figured things out. Things are looking good in Winnipeg. And yeah, Mike Smith, there you go. He's going to play again Tuesday. You grab him, then you drop him for Koskinen, like I said. Anyway, Brian Little returned. Why did I want to bring him up? Who cares, right? Uh, he bumped Andrew Kopp, took over the duties, centering Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers. Clearly, he didn't get any points because uh, the team didn't score any goals. But yeah, Brian Little's there. He has good line mates, but he didn't get a lot of points last year. I don't see a reason to expect anything from him this year. Uh, do you want to comment on Brian Little, Brian? Not especially. I mean, he could do stuff. He's got really great line mates in Connor and Ehlers. There are certainly worse sets of wingers to be playing with in the league, and so for that reason alone, Brian Little is worth at least considering adding to your roster for a few games, but he's not someone uh, like he was once upon a time, someone is, that you would hold through uh, a, you know, a short slump here and there, but he's not that guy anymore. Yeah, and the bigger news in Winnipeg was that Darren Drager, earlier in the week, uh, he released some news saying there was a growing sense of optimism that Dustin Bufflin will return to the wow. Winnipeg Jets, and he just like... Thanks, Darren Drager, for that contribution to our society and discourse <laughs> well yeah it freaked everyone out obviously bufflin had a huge spike in his percentage owned on yahoo because he's been dropped in a lot of leagues because freaking winnipeg made life hard for all the people who drafted bufflin by suspending him and yahoo doesn't allow you to put suspended players in your ir plus spot which is also kind of annoying yahoo like why not or at least have that as an option for your league fantrax has that but anyway, yeah, so Bufflin's been dropped in a ton of leagues. He got added. But at this point, Brian, like, what should people do with this news? Like, I'm sure Darren Drager didn't just make that up, right? Like, he must have heard something that maybe Bufflin is thinking of coming back and he's going to come back at some point, I guess. Like, we don't know. We don't know anything more than what anyone else knows. And pretty much the only news that's come out is this Darren Drager news item. Uh, but 
Like, what do you do now if he's in free agency? Like, he's in the cupful Keeping Carl's Altspacher Fantasy League, the top league in the world, the top tier, which I'm in this year, Sweden. Like, Bufflin's in free agency. No one wants to add him because they don't want to be, you know, handicapped with one fewer roster spot available. But at the same time, I feel like we're all playing chicken because the day that it's announced that he's going to come back, you're going to want... Like, he's probably going to be a huge bidding war with our fab dollars to get him. So I'd love to be smart and get him the day earlier for zero dollars. But, like, what do you do? Like, you just kind of wait let someone else spend big money on him or would you be willing at this point to maybe take the risk of holding him for a week or two just in case this growing sense of optimism is actually a real thing and well no so i'm not gonna take i'm not gonna make much out of darren drager's words especially if i am in some kind of dog fight through the season which tier one essentially is like a couple you cannot take a week off you cannot waste a roster spot uh, you're in big trouble if you do, because if you lose any ground ever, it's even harder to make it up. So if I'm in tier one, I'm endorsing that move of just letting Bufflin sit, and then you can blow your fab on him when he's there. Uh, elsewhere in other leagues, if you can afford the roster spot, why not? Give him a few days. But again, like, it was such a meaningless, like, vapid comment from Darren Drager. Like, how do you just drop that? And nothing else. Like, you can't say where you heard that from or what exactly uh, creates that sense that Bufflin is going to return or what the timeline is. Like, you can't. There's just nothing there. Come on. You're Do better. Ir- irresponsible. Come yeah. on, Darren. People named Darren. I don't know about these guys. I don't think we have any patrons named Darren. L- let us know if you do. I think that uh, they generally like to avoid us, and we avoid them. Okay, we probably have a Darren now. It's going to be really mad. I don't know why I said that. Uh... Okay, how about this for a strategy, Brian? You don't want to waste a roster spot, but if you're in, like, a weekly league, how about, like, let's say it's, like, Friday and it looks like you're going to win your matchup. Add Bufflin, hold him for the rest of the matchup since it doesn't matter, and hope that some exciting news comes out that he'll be returning. And then if not, drop him on Monday, leave him back in free agency, and wait until, again, like, a week, either a week is won or a week is lost. Like, by Friday, Thursday, you know you have a really good sense of how it's going to... If it's close, leave him in free agency. If it's not so close, grab him, hold him for a couple days, hoping to get lucky that the news comes out at the perfect time, and then you have Buffalo and you didn't spend anything on him. What, what do you think about that strategy? You grab him and drop him when it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, that's exactly what you want to do. When the stakes are low enough for using that roster spot on him, you should have him in that roster spot as often as you can. I I guess you are still sacrificing maybe getting ahead for your matchup next week, but I think it's not a terrible choice to, uh, like, anytime you have a a spare move and a spare roster spot, just to put Bufflin in there, just in case. It's like spinning a wheel, and maybe you'll you'll get it right one time. Yeah, I don't know. I just came up with that. I wonder if anyone has been employing that strategy already. Okay, uh, there's another injury to discuss. Philip Forsberg has missed the last couple of games in Nashville with a lower body injury. He could be back soon. Again, it's one of these things we don't really know. Uh, In the meantime, the Preds have lost both games, only scored two goals in each of those games. So I think they definitely want to get Philip Forsberg back as soon as they can. Uh, in the meantime, I would have thought Forsberg being out could have been good for someone like Mikhail Granlin to get a shot on the top power play in his place, just like what I said about Trocek with Barkov out. But no, Callie Yarncroc took that spot and said, it's like, what are we doing with Mikhail Granlin at this point? Like, he's playing with Duchesne, but he's now pointless in three games. There's only one shot in each of those last three games. Uh, he's not even getting top power play deployment, even when an injury happens, a la like an Ehlers in Winnipeg. Uh, are we approaching snoozer status with Mikhail Granlund? If you have him in your league, should you seriously consider dropping him at this point? Like, this guy's not going to come close to those numbers he put up in Minnesota. 
It's very sad to see what's become of Mikhail Granlin. He's seeing the lowest average time on ice of his career, lowest share of power play time. There's not a lot to love here about Granlin, especially watching him get passed over for a top power play spot when one became available. And sometimes you say, okay, well, maybe they'll try Yarncroc for a bit, and then it doesn't work, so they'll put Granlin in there. If Forsberg is back quickly enough, that will never even be a potential option. So I I like Mikhail Granlin. I think he's a good hockey player, but I just don't know that this in Nashville is going to be a great situation for him to be fantasy relevant. He's certainly approaching snoozer status. It's almost like you can take the player out of Minnesota, but you can't take the Minnesota out of the player. Uh, Sorry, Wild fans. Yeah, I mean, he was good in Minnesota, though. But yeah, that was a good good comment. Okay, so yeah, I'm very nervous about Mikhail Granlund. If he was dropped in one of my leagues, I don't even think I would add him. So maybe that'll be a regrettable comment by the end of the season. Okay, so speaking of potential snoozers, the Chicago Blackhawks shook up their lines recently, putting Taves and Debrinket together, and it seemed to have woken them up. They both have two points in the last two games before today. Uh, the Blackhawks lost to Washington 5-3. to three. Let's see here. J- uh, Taves, nothing. Debrinket, nothing. So, okay. Yeah, a little concerning. They're also not having the starts that we expected from them, so that's a bummer. And also, an interesting thing with the Blackhawks line since we're there, Kirby Doc, the third overall pick, he played his first NHL game today. And at the start of the game, it was announced that he was going to be playing on a line with Patrick Kane and Dylan Strome. Let's see how those lines check out. Yeah, he played with Kane and Strome all throughout the game, and he ended with no points, uh, no shots. Oh. Well, okay, he's disappointing all over. Who, who got these goals for Chicago? Okay, so uh, Kane scored a goal from Nylander, who's not even on a line with. So I don't know how that happened. Kajula and... Oh, Nylander had two assists today. Okay, good for him. Anyway... What are we doing here, Brian? Are you worried about Debrinket or Jonathan Taves? And should people be considering adding Kirby Doc if he's going to be playing with Patrick Kane, even though he didn't get any points or shots today? Anyone playing with Patrick Kane is worth adding. So if you want to get excited about Kirby Doc, go ahead and add him. But remember that he's not even necessarily with the team to stay, right? Like this might just be a a quick call up, maybe a quick audition. Uh, Don't get too invested. But, like, go ahead and get invested. Or, like, short-term invested, right? Try him out. I actually asked you, Elon, before we went on, seeing that Kirby Doc had been called up, should I, uh, should I add him for, uh, who did I say, Buchnevich? I'm deciding against it. There are probably better players out there, but it was at least a passing thought. Yeah, and do you want to make any comment about Dabrinkit or Taves? Like, I think their owners are starting to get really nervous that they're having such slow starts this season. Though, like I said, they did get points in each of their last two games, so maybe that should be enough to hold you off for at least a week. Like, Chicago plays four times this week, so maybe that answers the question. Hold them for another week, don't sell them yet, and then let's, like, reassess on Monday in a week. Perfect. Okay. So I'm making your life easy. Uh, I see you dropped Andreas Athanasiu in the cupful. You've been super high on him for a while, but I guess his one assist in six games so far pushed you over the edge. Should we just call it snoozer alert for Andreas Athanasiu? Everyone should be dropping him from any of their teams? Yeah, I think it's time. You know, Athanasiu had not broken through to the top power play when I dropped him, but he he has since. But he still has no one to play with at five on five. Glenn Denning, Hirose, Phil Pula, uh, Friends Nielsen. No thanks. Don't like that assortment of potential line mates. Also, Athanasiu hadn't even been doing his three shots per game thing. He's coming on a little better lately at seven shots in his last three games. Still too few for my liking, though, given the rest of his five on five output. I do wonder how long Detroit is going to run this powerhouse top line while letting the rest 
rest of their three lines run on fumes when Athens U is really the only other sure thing top six piece they have. Uh, but I guess we'll we'll wait and see. I'm not saying they're going to break anything up. I'm just wondering. Well, actually, they did. I saw for one game, Darren Helm was on the top line with, I think it was, like, Larkin and Mantha, and then Bertuzzi was on the second line with Athens but they switched back. Like, Detroit's bad. Uh, they're not going to win many games, so they might as well play around. But, yeah, for now, seems like there's no real reason to hold on to Andreas Athens if he's not at least giving you those three shots per game. You know, like, get JVR if you can. But I'm assuming, I'd, I'd like to see this league where someone's holding Andreas Athanasiu, but JVR was dropped. Though uh, maybe one person you could drop Athanasiu for is Nick Schmaltz over in Arizona. He's really hot lately. The Coyotes themselves finally scoring some goals. They've got 14 goals in their last three games versus Winnipeg, Nashville, and Ottawa. And of those goals, Schmaltz has one goal and five assists. So almost half the goals he's getting in on seems like an obvious ad right now from his second line spot with Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland. So... I don't know. Nick Schmaltz, he's hot right now. I I think there's still a very real uh, possibility that Arizona just kind of got lucky in these past three games and they're going to go back to not scoring at all. And even if they do score, I'm not sure if Nick Schmaltz is going to be as big a part of it as he has been, but definitely someone we've got to bring up with this hot run he's on. Yeah, five-game point streak is amazing. Uh, he's still only seeing 14 minutes of ice per night, which is real sad. He saw 16 minutes in Saturday's game against Ottawa. Uh, that was tied for the most he's seen all season. Before that, it was like 12, 13, 14 minutes a night. So we'll see if he can hold on to those 16 minutes. Unfortunately, he didn't register a shot in them. Uh, but if he can at least start getting 16 minutes on a regular basis, he's a little more uh, worthwhile as a as a, someone to consider adding. He also isn't seeing a really great share of his team's power play time. So you can go ahead uh, and take a chance, but you're right, Elon. I think it's just a lotto ticket, right? See if Nick Schmaltz uh, just happens to randomly pick up another point. Yeah, okay. So let's say pass, because we got some other exciting players that you might want instead. Uh, let's go to Anaheim. Adam Henrique has been centering a line with Raquel and Silverberg, and they're all doing really great. We thought it would maybe be Sam Steele in that spot, but Steele started the season injured, and now Steele is back. He's playing on a line with Troy Terry and I think Nick Ritchie today. But the hotness is this top line, Raquel, Henrique, Silverberg. Right now, they are cruising. Henrique has four goals and one assist in his last three games. Silverberg, two goals, two assists in those games. Raquel, two goals three assists in those three games. Obviously, Ricard Raquel's owned in your league. If you drafted him, you were smart. We told you that he was going to bounce back so far, looking very, very good. And we knew it from that really strong end of last season when finally he and the Ducks sort of got things going. Like Raquel was like 21 points his last 21 games, if I recall correctly. And right along with him was Jacob Silverberg. And Silverberg's also keeping it going at this point. Like I said, he's now got two goals and two assists in his last three games. And actually, he's already scored today. We're in the second period. And Silverberg scored the opening goal versus Cam Talbot and the Calgary Flames, so he keeps on rolling. Brian, I know you've always been kind of down on Silverberg, but I think it's time to maybe say that this guy, if he's a free agent, you need to grab him. This might be something different because he's playing with Ricard Raquel, who I think is a real superstar right now. Adam Henrique, clearly no slouch. Uh, So yeah, I think that Silverberg... (laughs) Is he a slouch? Adam Henrique is kind of a slouch. He's not a great centerman. I don't think playing with him guarantees anything. He scored four goals on nine shots going into Sunday's game, which is great. It's not going to sustain. The same way Silverberg has scored five goals on 18 shots, also not going to sustain. You look through these guys' numbers, and it's nice that they're on a nice little run and that they're playing with Ricard Raquel, but actually, I'm more 
worried for Raquel than I am excited about <laughs> Silverberg and Henrique because they can't keep this up. There's all kinds of uh, unsustainable flags happening in the numbers they're putting up. So no, I'm not buying in. And Silverberg isn't even putting up shots. Like, that's that's been the thing, right? I liked Silverberg a while ago when he was, and then the shots disappeared, and I was like, just forget him entirely. A lot of twos and ones in his shot on goal counts through the season so far. Yeah, I mean, that's a big disagreement we tend to have, Brian, because you see, like, it as unsustainable, so you go, I'm not interested. I feel like, yeah, it's unsustainable, but Silverberg has, like, nine points in ten games now. So even if that's not sustainable, even if his shooting percentage regresses, that might still be good for, like, 55, 60 points, which is a lot higher than what we expect. Like, yeah, he's not going to be a 75-point player like he's looking like now, but it doesn't mean he's, like, a 40-point guy either just because he has a high shooting percentage. Like, I think this is something real, and uh, I guess you've missed out. Someone else in your division is going to... I've missed out, too, because you convinced me. I hope someone else took him, and then I'm playing them next week. You're wrong. Like, you shouldn't be so smug about this. I think this line is for real, and, like, it was also for real at the end of last season, and now it keeps on going. So, uh... In a totally, totally unsustained... I understand what you're saying. It's too early to know exactly... Like, where regression would take them is about where I've already projected them. Like, I'm not seeing any reason to think they're any better at scoring, especially these two guys in Henrik and Silverberg, who are not in years where we're expecting them to improve or in their peak years. These guys are getting older. We've seen the best that we're going to see from them. I disagree. Like, that's what you say. Like, I had... Like, in the Almanac, I was like Brian like now he's playing with Raquel they seem to have chemistry I don't recall Silverberg ever playing with Raquel before this is a whole new thing like I don't know why you can't give him some uh, slack here like he's been doing well now for like 20 games at the end of last year now we're like 10 games into this year he's a top liner he's getting good power play deployment I don't think he's a 40 point guy I think he's like potentially a 55 60 point guy We'll see. Okay. We'll see. I guess I guess this is uh, one of those things we'll have to wait and see and check in on in a very annoying way all through the season. For what it's worth, Elon, being a top liner means that Jacob Silverberg is averaging his fewest minutes per game <laughs> in uh, since uh, 2014-15. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, so far in the second period <laughs> against Calgary, it looks like he has the most minutes of ever- all the forwards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. that, that's an Elon sample size right there. Uh, we hate each other. This is fun. Okay, so Brian, I know you love this guy. You'll take this guy over Silverberg any day of the week. Brock Nelson, got to bring him up. Yeah. Seven points in eight. Same as Silverberg, basically, in terms of his point base. But I'm sure you're going to say it's a lot more sustainable. <laughs> He's seeing big ice time, his highest ice time of his I career love, so far. You're going to just list all the guys who have seven points in eight games and say, same as Silverberg. If you hate this guy, if you love this guy, then you have to love Silverberg. Uh, Brian, you're so cranky at this point. Okay, we're almost done. Don't worry. Then you'll be able to I'm go to bed. Cranky. Okay, seven points points in eight games for Brock Nelson. Do you think that he's a lock to break 50 points on the Islanders once again? I'm guessing you'd have him ahead of all the guys we've discussed so far. And the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, it is. Because Barry Trotz likes Brock Nelson more than any of the guys we've discussed so far. Uh, he is getting play since Barry Trotz came to coach the team like he never saw before. And just by virtue of that, he is going to be a 50-55 point player. A really solid floor on Brock Nelson, a little bonus for his owners so far this year. He's averaging over three shots per game, which is something he has never done before. At most, he's been like two and a bit. Uh, so good for you, Brock Nelson. Way to go. Also, so far, the highest power play timeshare of his career. Yeah, so he's doing really well. Uh, do you want to make a bet right now? Rest of season, Silverberg versus Brock Nelson? 
Yeah. Okay, lock it in. Let us know on Twitter. Hashtag team. I guess we always say that, then we forget even what the player was. Just how about just tweeted us at Keeping Carlson and let these hashtags don't work. Okay, let us know if you agree about Silverberg or Brock Nelson. And uh, I think I think I'll be right. I'll probably be close, which is still very good for Silverberg compared to what we projected. Uh, let's end. <laughs> no, that's, I'll still I'll be close, which is still pretty good. Uh-uh. No. You win or you lose. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying it would be good for Silverberg even if he's close yeah. to Brock Nelson because that's a lot higher than we expected. Sure. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, so let's end on a couple defensemen who may be available to you in your deeper leagues. First of all, maybe even not that deep, uh, Brock Nelson's teammate, Devon Taves. He's up to five points in eight games on the Islanders. Two of them from the power play where he's getting decent shots there. Looks like Islanders are kind of going 50-50 with the power play. So seems like Taves should be good for around a 40-plus point pace the rest of the way with the way he's getting deployed. Do you agree with that? And if so, he's probably worth adding in a lot of leagues. Yeah, exactly. If you were the sort of person who would have considered Nick Letty worth rostering, uh, Devontae's is kind of similar. He doesn't shoot a lot, has just 12 shots in these eight games, but he is seeing half his team's power play time, and maybe, just maybe, he'll uh, he'll get to see a little more uh, as the season goes on if he is the one who is clearly producing the best out of any of the power play quarterbacks. So, yeah, you can go ahead, but I wouldn't expect uh, much better than a 40-point pace from him with this current deployment. Yeah, that's right. But still, that's pretty good in a lot of leagues. And maybe you could even, like, inch up to 45. The difference between 40 and 45, not that much, right? A couple bounces. Brock Nelson, by the way, Brian, uh, playing on a line with Michael Dalcole and Anthony Bovillier right now. So he's definitely making the most of limited opportunities. Like the opposite, like Silverberg, who you say is like a bad player, but he's playing with Raquel. And then we've got Nelson. I'm Silverberg is a bad player. (laughs) Okay, so next defenseman, two more to go. These are just mainly peripheral guys that you need to have on your mind. Nikita Zaitsev on Ottawa. Not getting many points, but he's been a beast for hits and blocks since joining the Sens. He's up to 22 hits and 26 blocks through seven games. And Ottawa plays four times next week. This is the hired gun you're looking for. If you're in a categories league or a points league where hits and blocks are worth a decent number of points, you definitely want to get four games out of Nikita Zaitsev. Ottawa has a stream gummy, which is a term from Dave Benton's stream scheme, which, by the way is a new podcast that we're presenting. You should search for it. And Brian, we'll link to it in the show notes. The Stream Scheme, Dave just released an episode. He was all over Nikita Zaitsev and his Stream Gami this week. That means he plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, four off-day games, the best schedule you can have. So yeah, if you want those peripherals, you gotta grab Zaitsev. I don't even think we could argue about it. Like, he's getting big ice time. That's not gonna change. Like, why would we expect these peripherals to go away with all of this ice time? Like, Ottawa has lots of opportunities to throw hits because they don't have the puck and lots of opportunities to block shots because the other team is taking so many shots and Zaitsev is there to throw those hits and block those shots. Yeah, Zaitsev playing 24 minutes a night as an Ottawa senator and uh, doing the things he has to do when he doesn't have the puck, which is uh, like throwing a hit and blocking a shot and uh, not really able to do a whole lot else because he's Nikita Zaitsev and he's playing on the Ottawa Senators. So great for peripherals. Also, the stream gummy term i don't i don't get it is it like a stream origami it's just for fun brian it's just a fun word because you need we <laughs> wanted to have a word for if a player had like, like dave, talk to dave benton check out the stream scheme and you'll learn all about the history of all of his cool words that he uses i really like this podcast actually it's a really good show everybody check it out do we have a, a like a hyperlink elon yeah keeping carlson.com slash stream scheme that will take you to it. I really recommend if you're in a weekly league where you're trying to maximize your games play, like Dave is telling you which 
teams have good schedules and which players from those teams you want to like stream in and stream out. You know, like grab this guy for Monday, Tuesday, then drop him. And then because he doesn't play until Friday, Saturday, that's the Leafs schedule for next week. Like lots of good tidbits like that. So if you're a schedule guy, listen to the stream scheme. By the way, another player on Ottawa that's going to take advantage of the stream Gami potentially is JG Pajot, who in the last game bumped Colin White from the top line midway through the game versus Arizona. Could be a really solid stream, especially if he stays on the top line. Like Pajot from like the middle six has two goals and three assists and 17 shots through seven games so far. Now, if all of a sudden he's playing with Brady Kachuk, he should hopefully at least be able to keep that up. The third line mate on that line has been cycling like crazy from like Connor Brown to Duclair to Nemesnikov. So hard to bank on anyone sticking there. But I like Pajot's chances to maybe stick on the top line and do some damage in four games. You know, you only need uh, like two points. And by the way, this isn't just any four games, right? Like not on the busy days. These are the four days where you're going to be able to fit him in your lineup. If he gets you two points in four games, that's probably better than anyone else you could stream for the week. It's unfortunate that of all the teams to be playing so many games this week, it's Ottawa, like, standing alone, playing so many. Uh, But I guess, like, your rationale is pretty sound for adding someone like J.G. Pajot. Uh, Just keep in mind when you say he's moving to the top line, that's all relative, right? The top line in Ottawa is, like, second or third line in another team. Yeah, sure. And obviously, Colin White wasn't able to do much from that line. But hey, Pajot's doing well in the bottom line, so we'll see how he does. Maybe uh, Kachuk is the albatross there. I guess we don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. And then one last player I want to bring up, Sean Walker on the Kings. Another guy I've never heard of before this week. He has four points in eight games so far. He's pointless in his last three, so I was more excited about him at the start of the week. But still, 21 shots, nothing to sneeze at for a defenseman. And he's also blocking a couple shots per game. So is there anything he here with this Sean Walker on the LA Kings. Do you think he's going to keep these shot rates up, potentially get some more points? If he could stay half point per game, that would be great. Is he someone with some like pedigree that I should know about? Or is he someone we could forget about and we'll probably never talk about him again? I think it's reasonably safe to... I don't know. I was going to say forget about him. He's undrafted, about to turn 25 in a couple weeks. He's had an okay career. He played college at Bowling Green, and then he spent a couple years in the AHL. Last season, he split between the AHL and the NHL, and he had 17 points in 22 games for the Ontario Reign. Uh, so good for him. I'm not sure it's going to translate into NHL success, though. Uh, it is nice that he takes almost three shots per game, and that's a new thing this year. Last year, he wasn't, but he was also playing like three and a half minutes less per game, and probably was not trusted or counted on as much as he might be this year if he continues playing reasonably steady hockey. He's a plus four. We know coaches love that number. So I guess, uh, honestly, Elon, in a deep format, it's not a bad choice right now. Who would you prefer between Sean Walker and Travis Sanheim, your favorite? Oh, I'm over Sanheim at this point. Like, he's not getting any points and he doesn't have peripherals. Sean Walker is getting you peripherals, at least. So yeah, Give me Walker for now. Sanheim will have to wait and see. He's getting decent minutes on Philly, but, you know, I'm, I'm telling people to drop Gosses Beher, so I'm not going to be adding Travis Sanheim at this point. By the way, here's a fun fact about Sean Walker. I was just looking him up a little bit. Uh, apparently, he got a degree, a business degree, while he was in school at Bowling Green. So maybe that's why it took him longer to get to the NHL, but he's got a... How back- is that a fun fact? He's got a backup plan. He, it says, with a specialization in supply chain management... Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying he went to school and got a degree at the same time? Well, like, a four-year degree. Do play... Is that not interesting? 
It says here in this article, he bet on himself and a hockey scholarship that might lead to a profession. He also gave himself a hedge, a business degree earned in four years. Is that not normal? Do all these hockey players in the NHL have business degrees or some impressive university degree? The ones who went through the American college system do. Oh, I'd love to know what some, uh, what is Kale McCarr? Like, what, what degree does he have? <laughs> Well, I guess some of them leave before finishing. Like, you know, Walker had four years uh, at Bowling Green and Cal McCarr only had two years at UMass Amherst. But yeah, I'd love to know what he majored in. We should do a podcast about what about NHL players discussing their uh, their field of expertise from school. I mean, I assumed that because this is an article in the Orange County <laughs> Register, <laughs> I thought that meant this was an interesting thing. That's pretty rare. I wouldn't assume that a player like sticks through and finishes their degree. Like it's hard to get a university degree, I, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, this has been a fun episode of Keeping Carlson, Brian. The time has <laughs> flown by. We've talked about so many players and I cannot wait to hear if it turns out that we helped people to make some decisions and help them win their next week's thanks everyone so much for tuning in for another show we love having you with us for this season we're going to keep going just like this all season long so we would love it if you could subscribe to us on wherever you listen to podcasts spotify itunes we'd also love a five-star review wherever you can if you would be so kind and if you really want to be kind you could even consider joining our patreon because that's where we try to give as many perks as we can to the people who support the show for just like five bucks a month we're giving you all the perks that we've come up with which includes access to our patron only facebook group where i sourced a lot of the questions for this week's episode also we streamed this episode live on our facebook group we tested out facebook live for the first time ever so that's a new perk for being a patron is you can watch these episodes live also you get your show notes every week we do a weekly patron cast so a bonus episode which we'll be releasing actually this week i believe so yeah lots of stuff going on in our patreons you can check it out you can always cancel it right so keepingcarlson.com slash patron now is the time to get in and uh, help support us and get in on our different perks that we're giving out uh but with that brian why don't we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits all right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported, or powered, is what I like to say, by our patrons, including our newest ones, Stephen, Brian with a Y, and Chris. Thank you so much for your support. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World and yahoo great job as always brian uh by the way brian with a y i know three brian with y's two of them i like a lot like in person i'm talking about and one of them i really don't like so i'm like that's a very hit or miss name with me so thanks to this brian with a y making it now three out of four that are good thank you for supporting the show uh yeah great job and i'm looking forward to doing this all again with you next week until then keep on keeping carl Sun. <laughs>